Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It's Query and Company. I'm going to be keeping you company for the next few hours. You are not going to believe the company. This company. You're going to bankrupt your mama's company. At least I have the radio to keep me company. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Halliburton working off the Turner screen. Horford switches out. Halliburton bouncing and looking and launching and scoring! 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 And a foul! A three ball and a foul! The crowd has worked itself into a frenzy with 52 seconds to play. White drives at the other end and throws it away. Halliburton has it. 46 seconds to play. Up the floor. Neesmith dunks. Halliburton will inbound five to shoot, and he will get it into the perimeter. Catch, shoot, bang! Three ball up top, heel, and Indiana leads by seven. And it worked. Um, but last night, after all of the like the early rounds of the in-season tournament, to me were a little bit confusing. But. Last night, knowing, of course, now, because it's very clear, it's very understandable because you're down to, you know, hey, if they win this game, they go to Vegas, and then they have two games to play. And the Boston Celtics were a big part of this because they're one of the best teams in the NBA. I've been to a lot of Pacer games. I've been to a lot of Pacer games in different eras. I've been to Pacer games in the Brown Curtain era. I've been to Pacer games in the oh, they just got into the playoffs and they faced the Knicks, so they're going to get beat again era. I've been to Pacer games in the holy cow, they've broken through, and now if they can just get past the the Bulls, they could win an NBA title era. And I've been to Pacer games in the LeBron and the trio of Miami is really good, but so too are Paul George and George Hill and David West era, all of it. And last night was not only as electric an atmosphere as any that I would put up in those games. It felt like the Market Square Arena days. It felt like the Eastern Conference Finals sandwiched around the Indy 500 days. I'm not trying to create hyperbole here in saying that at least five different times last night I said, I was like, this feels like a playoff game. The crowd was, to Mark Boyle's point, and thank you to Mark Boyle and the Pacers Radio Network and to Carl Showbiz for putting that together – you had the Halliburton four-point play, then you had the healed three, and then you had the Neesmith dunk, a 9 nothing run over the course of like a minute and a half. That place went crazy. And after the game last night, Jimmy, I haven't seen this in, I'm not kidding you, minimum 15 years have I seen this happen. I remember going way back. In 1989, I was at an Indiana-Michigan game at Assembly Hall where Jay Edwards hit a miracle shot for Indiana to win at the buzzer. And I'll never forget walking down the ramps of Assembly Hall. The crowd sat and cheered for like three straight minutes, seemingly. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't that short, but it felt like it. And then as we were leaving, walking down the ramps of Assembly Hall, all of a sudden, as people were still high-fiving and cheering and whistling, you heard Chuck Crabb, three-point basket, three points, because he waited that long for people to even hear the announcement. 
and then everybody erupted again. Last night, leaving that arena, well after the game, walking to the car, crossing Delaware Street, literally horns are honking and people were there was still an electricity people were jumping high-fiving one guy yelled at me that he's a member of the company i mean it was awesome and it's been a long time since i've since i've seen that at a pacer game and the other thing that came into play last night paul george is the most versatile skilled player to play for the pacers in the nba okay but reggie miller is the face of the franchise because of the fact that Reggie Miller had an ability to catch lightning in a bottle and take everybody on these rides where he would hit three or four shots in like a 90-second span to either close gaps or put games away. And it was captivating to everybody. And everybody in this town has been chasing that high and wanting it in Paul George or Victor Oladipo and different players. This is the first time, in my opinion, that we have seen a guy that on consecutive that at any point when he's on the floor and he catches that lightning in a bottle hot streak, that you feel like you were always either have a chance to come back in a game or put a game away. And that's exactly what you saw last night with Tyrese Halliburton, where when he starts getting it going on that crossover pull-up three, it is everybody in the building knows. That guy's getting the ball. And that guy, if he's getting the ball, is probably going to put it up. And I feel like it's going in. And it was totally fun to see and, and pretty awesome uh, last night. So good afternoon to you here on a Tuesday. My name is Jake Corey. Jimmy Cook is back from Green Bay. Carl Showbiz running the board for us. Eddie Garrison will be back tomorrow. Um, so, Jimmy, with all of that said, welcome back and take me through your experience at Lambeau. Great to be back. Lambo was phenomenal. It's everything that anybody's ever said it would be in terms of you could pick a perfect scenario, cold, some snowy conditions, tailgating, packed kind of like sardines. I liken it to prior to the renovations that happened over the last 10 or 15 years at Notre Dame. And it's still tight there, but that's the closest thing I can compare it to just bodies on bodies in terms of the massed vastness of Lambo field. Uh, Fun, healthy ribbing, but in terms of a fan base and friendly atmosphere, as good as you could have asked for. Everybody knows I'm a Chiefs fan, so no, it wasn't the result that I wanted, but it was spectacular. It lived up to all the billing that has ever been told to me of what a night game is like there, what a game's like there in general. And so often when you hear that in sports or anything, it does not live up to expectations, but it did. But yes, I am glad to be back and Speaking of expectations and environment and atmosphere, uh, we didn't get. A ch- we were running late to get back, so I didn't end up going to the game last night. I watched at home instead. I'll never be able to watch a game, by the way, now that I know where you are, because oftentimes they'll pan over, and I'm like, oh hey, there's Jake. So I, <laughs> I, I know where you are now for for what that's worth, creepy or not. That's just the, the reality. I'm turning on the first thing I. So see. you don't want to see that? That's what you're getting. I know. I'm not saying I don't want to see that. I just it, it's there now. It's permanently there. But I'm glad to know that the way that you described it. The viewers that were at home, myself included, can back it up for the way that atmosphere popped. And what I mean by that is if you turned on that game and you asked me what month it was in the season, I would have told you it was late April. Like from a viewership standpoint, 
that felt every bit as it would have been a playoff game totally four or five months from now yeah I mean I, it was weird to think like and I don't know Jimmy like would that have been the same thing if it were a an in-season tournament game and that's kind of a mouthful to say w- would it have had that same cachet that same buzz if that had been against the Chicago Bulls no or not, the Detroit not right now. You, you know probably not right it's the fact that this is a team that you gave up 155 to a month ago right. that is the best of the East that pretty much everybody nationally picked to take care of the Pacers with ease last night. And the fact that not only did they not take care of them at ease, but they lost because of first triple-double in his career for Tyrese Halliburton. For him having... And that stunned me, by the way. Crazy, right? So, I, Jake, I know you don't like me to take us down this path always, but as the betting man that I am, there, I didn't do it last night. And shame on me, I guess, but... His odds to get a triple-double on a nightly basis are always so high. And I was like, why is that? Like, he's a distributor. Like, he can get to the rim. He can clean up some rebounds every now and again. Well, because he never had one before. That's why. Able to put it together with 10 boards last night to go along with a 26-point outing with 13 assists. You mentioned the part about him being able to seemingly take over a game or make plays when you need him most. And you feel like when the ball's in his hands, good things are going to happen. You're always in a game. It's not just because of the scoring. It's his ability to distribute as a passer that I think nationally got overlooked. And for him to have that performance in a season where the Pacers, they have any other national televised games other than, well, I guess they will now because they're in the right. the in season tournament So they're semifinals. on their way to Las Vegas right now. They will play Thursday, Thursday against the winner of tonight's Knicks-Bucks game. Yep. Defensively also, like tip of the cap across the board. This needs to be replicated over the course of the season. I didn't tweet this out, but I wanted to say it today. If this was a seven-game series, this feels like the game at home where the historic Pacers overwhelm a team, right? The the idea of them being able to bottle it up for a seven-game series, we can worry about that later, but they have that defensive ability in them. We we saw it now. There was still a... I will say there were lapses where their wing defense is still a turnstile. Mm-hmm. That that's a conversation for another day because of the euphoria of the game. But there are still major defensive concerns about Indiana on the wings and in particular consistently. But what happened last night was also this. Jimmy Cook, I want you to give me three NBA franchises off the top of your head. Any three. All right. Boston Celtics. Okay. Atlanta Hawks okay. and the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. So, historically, there were games where you would go to the field house and watch the Pacers take on the Atlanta Hawks, and they could hang around, but you knew that when it came down to it, Dominique Wilkins had the ability where he was going to take over the game, and if he hit two straight drives, you're like, here he goes. Or Steve Smith later. For the Brooklyn Nets, going on the way back, there were games where Michael Ray Richardson, late in the game, you're like, you cannot let him get going. Or Drazen Petrovic, you cannot let him get hot. And last night, the Boston Celtics. I said on two different occasions, when Jason Tatum late in the game, and and let's not even talk about Jalen Brown also, that, that combo, but Jason Tatum in particular hit a couple of shots late in the fourth quarter, and I'm like, okay, the, you can't. And my one of my worries and one of the areas that kind of made me feel better 
late in the game, Jalen or excuse me, Jason Tatum was put on the free throw line and he missed a free throw. And I took a deep sigh of relief because typically when shooters go to the free throw line, if they knock down a free throw or two, then that gets them in rhythm. And I'm like, you can't let him get in rhythm because he absolutely can take over games when he's in rhythm. And then I had to remind myself, because I've been conditioned to think otherwise, that, wait a minute, Indiana has a guy the same. Indiana has a guy that can get in rhythm and take over games. Still not great defensively, but that's for a different day. But Tyrese Halliburton is that guy. Now, Victor Oladipo had that in him for sure, but it was short-lived because of the injury. And Paul George thought he had it in him, and for 35 minutes a game, did, until it really came down to crunch time, and then Paul George wanted to be the guy, playoff P or whatever the hell he called himself, and he's a wonderful talent and a nice guy, but I think he thought he was a game-takeover guy, and he wasn't. There's just certain people that have it in them. And sometimes you don't know that they have it in them until you see them do it, but they have to do it on repeated occasion before you go, okay, we know now. And I think now we can say it with Halliburton because we've seen it. Is he just in a one-year zone? Maybe. But, man, I mean, it's a joyride, right? It, with the other guy that was really critical for them, last night, six minutes and 53 seconds to go in the game, Indiana had been up, I think, seven, and the Celtics came back and tied the game. And there was a timeout, and the Pacers were coming off the floor, and I thought to myself, it's over. They looked tired. They looked deflated. They looked exasperated by the fact that Boston had taken their best punch and come back and countered. And you really hadn't even gotten Tatum and Brown going in unison together. And with 6.53 to go in the game, I thought to myself, man, this this disappointing. Then I had to remind myself, it's a regular season game, but it feels like a playoff game. Yep. So they come back out of the timeout, and I don't remember if it was the immediate possession or a possession after that. Aaron Neesmith slides into the middle of the lane and takes a charge. And then they come down the other way, and in transition, Aaron Neesmith drove to the basket and scored a basket. I know that I've been high on Aaron Neesmith, and and maybe it sounds like I'm touting him too much, but that was those are the kinds of plays that unheralded heroes make. And I thought last night Halliburton was the hero of the game, but an unheralded momentary hero was Aaron Neesmith because he made champion-level plays when they needed it, and that, as a result, gave all of a sudden this adrenaline surge to the rest of the team that carried them the rest of the way. Especially on the defensive end. Look, like he didn't get some of the foul calls that they gave to Jason Tatum. One of them I got because Neesmith kind of came down with his hand late. It was on a jumper towards the Celtics bench, and somebody on the Celtics bench was like, nah, you fouled him like the Neesmith. They had a little back and forth, whatever. It might have been right before those free throws that you referenced, Jake, but defensively, that was the assignment that he knew he was going to take on as things got into crunch time, and for a large part of crunch time, it was him on Tatum. Did Tatum still get what he wanted? Sure, it's because he's one of the best players in the league right now, but he made him work for everything, and part of that, again, is what you're going to need 
once you get into the real thick of the second season, which is still months away. And I'm not saying this team is perfect, and I agree with you defensively on the wings, as you put it, Jake, throughout that game, turnstile like defense, less so, though, in those final five minutes. When the frenetic kind of blitzkrieg happened and they go up nine on on Mark Boyle's call as he's highlighting everything in Vegas that the Pacers are going to be a part of now with this trip into the semifinals, that all happens because of late chaotic defensive stops and just kind of an overwhelming avalanche that you would have expected from Boston coming in and maybe not from Indiana. Like if that happened the other way around, like you mentioned, six or five minutes to go and the roof caves in on you. That's kind of your feeling if you're a Pacers fan with six minutes to go. And the Pacers turn the tables and are able to do that in part because of Halliburton, in part because of their defensive physicality. And that's just a great win. Like, I get it. They're 11 and 8. And I understand that still nationally, people view this thing as a as a fun new toy in the NBA. I think it was Kenny Smith, though. He said it post-game last night on the NBA, inside the NBA on TNT. For young teams... Not saying it didn't matter for the Celtics, but for young teams, this type of setup is invaluable and very unique to them. Yes, the playoffs are not the NCAA tournament like this is constructed to be once you get into the knockout rounds. But the idea of this being Tyrese's first playoff game or playoff-like atmosphere game as he's documented going into it, hey, it's my first time, just looking forward to it, I want to compete for a championship. I know it's it's still somewhat of a joke to bigger franchises, but for a team like the Pacers totally. to be that's, on the doorstep for that's it, exactly right. this is exactly why they made it. And it does two things. It's awakened in this market a fanaticism to some people about the Pacers again. Maybe fanaticism is the wrong word, but in, in enthusiasm or an in interest, right? It's a I want to go see them play now type of game. If you just watch that at home... All of a sudden, I mean, I, I got to go see this team. To most people, Jimmy, the NBA season doesn't begin till Christmas night. Correct. And now all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. And, you know, the NBA, does the the NBA wants Boston in there. I'm telling you right now, they're, they're probably PO'd. I, I don't buy into that. But Boston thought they were going to be there. Yep. Boston thought they were going to be in Las Vegas and had prepared for being in Las Vegas, right? And as they should. I mean, they're the probably the best team in the league. But what – to your point, and to piggyback off what you just said, one of the great things about this is for a young team, and there are young teams in the league. Oklahoma City's a young team. Indiana's a young team. Sacramento's, to some extent, a young team. What you want is to get into the playoffs to begin and finally get the taste of not only the energy but the pressure or the elevated level of play that comes with a playoff game. And you have now allowed this team and its younger players, Tyrese Halliburton, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nimhard, even though he wasn't on the floor, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, you've allowed those players to experience it without having to go through the rigors of getting into a five-game playoff series. And it does wet the whistle a little bit. I thought it was awesome. And you know what? Open disclaimer. I have always tried to, nobody cares about my own feelings, but I'm saying this for the perspective aspect of it. When I have been credentialed to a game, it's kind of weird. And I know it doesn't make sense to fans, and I, I appreciate that. But when you wear a credential around your neck and you're at a game covering it in that standpoint – 
it sterilizes the the competition of it and you're just watching to analyze what's happening and you are conditioned to be neutral so that you can offer the proper professional perspective and for years that's what I've done and teams that I grew up admiring and following and being passionate about when I had the credential on I was able to not I mean just my training had nothing to do with me I was able to set that aside and in those games just watch it as a fan I mean as a non-fan I mean as a media person and then to go to a game as a fan for a long time it kind of took that away from me I'm very fortunate to be able to go to games as a fan but for so many years, Jimmy, I, I, I've become accustomed to just watching at an observation level that I love the fact that last night when Buddy Heald hit that three, I found myself standing up and I pumped my fist in the air and I'm like, I haven't done that in years. And because that's what that energy in the building transcended into last night. And I loved it. And it was, it was great. I, I loved it. And I thought... This is what this town and these fans deserve. And that's what they want to see. And then I and then I immediately after the game I get in the car and very shortly thereafter I see that Jacksonville's about to get beat and that Trevor Lawrence's season is in question and I'm thinking to myself, did the Colts just actually get the division placed for them? on a tray that they might – I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win the division because Houston's still there, and I think now we know Lawrence may not be, in fact, out for the year. Uh, we'll, we'll wait to see official word. It looks like it's a sprain. When that happened, Jimmy, I think most people thought Trevor Lawrence just tore his knee. And I don't mean that – I'm not wishing for that. Nobody is. Well, you see him in the hallway leaving to go to the locker room, and he can't walk by himself. He has two staff members just on either side, and it's like – his, his season's done. Like, that, that. that's what goes through your mind, not just him throwing his helmet down on the ground, but the walkout. It's like, okay, this is – can't put weight on this thing. And so, yeah, you never root for injuries, and for the sake of football and the way I want the AFC to look the rest of the way, like, I, I hope it's just an ankle sprain. But the loss still occurred, and now it is the Colts and the Texans, both a game back of a division that many thought, especially with how Cincinnati – was supposed to look with Jake Browning, that it was over, that the right. Jaguars had won the South, book it, and it'll be a wild card spot that does not involve a home game. So again, Colts still have business to take care of throughout their schedule, but if Lawrence has to miss time, I know it was just one game, but C.J. Beathard is who C.J. Beathard is. They're not getting better offensively as Man. time grows. They if he do has have to miss some games. weapons, though, don't they? They have the weapons, and that's why he was able to, You're after right. that first drive, look okay but the idea of, of him being able to keep the ship afloat if Lawrence has to miss any time, it's green flag racing for both Houston and Indianapolis for the South. I had said this yesterday. Um, I had said yesterday that the the season, like when Andrew Luck, like when Bruce Arians had to take over for Chuck Pagano, and uh, that circumstance aside, which was awful, and you know for right. Chuck Pagano, but the Colts really rallied behind all of that, but they also had like everything go their way and, and every ball just seemed to bounce their way. And just, there have been years where also you look at it and you go, Oh my gosh, like every single time the Colts had an opponent, they were going against like a backup quarterback and things just fell into their way. And it kind of feels like this year and kudos to the Colts because they have taken advantage of those things. They've won the games they need to win. But the schedule, when you look at it, Jimmy, 
it kind of feels like things are falling into place for them, right? They have five games left, and as of right now, that could change depending on where health goes for one of these matchups anyway. Of the five they have left, only one has the opening day starter like still active. I guess Ritter right. still might be upright for the Falcons, but Atlanta is Atlanta. That's a game I, you should You win. know, I'll, I'll be honest about this. I, I know nothing about Harry Potter. I know of Harry Potter. I know it's a. I, I know who writes Harry Potter, and I know that there are like nine hundred page books that kids like and adults like, and I know they've got a Disney World thing, and I know they've got a, a series of movies, and I know that he's like this this wizard fella, and he went to a weird school, right? That's what I know. But I don't. I don't. I don't like really know Harry sure, Potter. Sure. But I know more about Harry Potter than I do the Atlanta Falcons. Like I know nothing about him this year. <laughs> I, nothing like I, I haven't seen I don't know that I've seen a single highlight of the Atlanta Falcons I don't know that I've heard about the Atlanta Falcons I know that Desmond Ritter played at Cincinnati and I actually thought he was a guy that might actually be involved with the Colts at some point and they, they went in a different direction and now he's with the Atlanta Falcons and I knew that in college he threw passes to the guy that's going to join us at 2.30 today Alec Pierce by the way but I don't know maybe I'll ask Stephen Holder about it at 2 o'clock but I don't know much more about the Atlanta Falcons than that they have they have some great names. They don't know how to use them. They are a mess of a franchise. Oh, by like, the way, like is Jamal Anderson still there? I don't. I, I'm with you. I is know Brett Perryman still catching no, passes. No, you, uh, is Hammer still no. doing videos with Atlanta <laughs> Falcons players? Uh, does Kyle Pitts do anything for you? Is he Andre Risen? <laughs> does Drake London do anything for you? Does Bijan Robinson do anything for it? He's a good player. They have all these. Names, I know they've got good players, but they but I'm just saying, not a like good a, team. But in that division, it's just you can't assess anybody in that division either because it's like, well, quite frankly, it's the NFC's version of the AFC hey, South. They're, right? they're not a good team. Dot dot dot. First place in the NFC South. I know. Right I, that's what I mean, right? <laughs> six uh, and six. Dustin Doprak going to join us one o'clock today. We'll talk about the Pacers last night. Stephen Holder at two and Alec Pierce at two thirty. We'll continue the conversation, including something last night that I was torn with the Colts. And I think it went their way. But you could make a case either way. I'll explain what I'm talking about next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. In Carl, I would swear you're from Seattle because I don't know if you randomly fire it, but every – and I like it. I'm not downing you for this at all. I'm a fan of it, but literally Soundgarden, I think, plays every other re-entry that you play, right? Uh, no, but I do play a lot of stuff from the 90s. I'll, then when I'm cool with that, right? Obviously, I'm cool with that. Um, last night in that game, as I'd mentioned, I went to the Pacer game, and I'm coming home, and I I was curious. I thought, oh, I had checked earlier what was going on between the Bengals and the Jags, and I, I turned it on, and it was 28-21. And then I, I had something to do, and somebody had texted me and said, like, wow, that doesn't look good for Lawrence. And then I you know, immediately tuned back in and saw the play. And, Jimmy, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to look up and see if there is any official word yet on Trevor Lawrence today. 
Uh, if you were not watching last night, late in the game in Cincinnati, Trevor Lawrence had um, a play where his ankle was rolled up on and then his leg bent backward in a very, comp- at least by appearance, compromising position. And it seemed as though it could have been an injury to his knee and his ankle. And there was a lot of criticism of the Jaguars for not bringing the cart out, but for having him limp off under his own. And, of course, now I think we know it appears as though the knee was not compromised, but that nothing official today. But you have two teams, Jacksonville and Cincinnati, that are both – Jacksonville is behind the Colts in the traffic jam, and the Jaguars are like a couple of cars up with – you're trying to figure out which lane they're going to go in. And I was thinking to myself, is it better for the Colts if Cincinnati wins or is it better for the Colts if Jacksonville wins? And this, quite frankly, is kind of like, is it better for Florida State to get in or Alabama to get in? Like you could make a very sound point for both. So I will ask you, Jimmy Cook, in your opinion last night, was it better for Indianapolis if since with Cincinnati winning, or was it better for the Colts if Jacksonville had won? It's better for the Colts that the Bengals won yesterday for two reasons. One, the idea of the division being now somewhat up for grabs. You still need help, and Houston has a tiebreak over Jacksonville that you don't have, so you need to clear them both, which you can do if you win out and you – successfully beat Houston at home on the 7th of January or you need some help as well and I should say from Jacksonville I need to stumble effectively two more times they need to lose two more games over the next five but the idea of hosting a home playoff game being up for grabs for the Colts they needed help for that to happen and it's still not there yet but there's life at the light at the end of this tunnel because Cincinnati won last night on top of that it doesn't drastically for me impact the playoff race with Cincinnati, like the big conversation nationally last night was, uh, the Bengals playoff hopes are alive. Now they, they're, they're right back in the thick of things. Well, they're six and six. They still have a relatively tough schedule. They still have to play Kansas city. Like, it, well, it doesn't impact you. You know who else they have yet to play. Indianapolis as well. Yes. Correct. So for yes. the, to me, you are better served having Cincinnati win that game. Because if you know, that Cincinnati st- – like, in other words, you got to go knockout blow step by step. So the first step would be, okay, let's knockout blow as a safety net those around us in the wild card chase in case we don't win the division, okay? And then we'll worry about the division. Well, Cincinnati is a wild card contender s- hanging around with the Colts, but the Colts still have them on the schedule. So, okay – that we can control, so we might as well go ahead and Cincinnati and have Cincinnati like kind of help us in the division race. But at the same time, it, Cincinnati is one loss from basically pushed out of the way, right? Yeah. And, loss and the, last night would have basically ended their hopes. Correct. Which now a loss to the Colts basically ends their hopes. Correct. So the Colts basically took the best case scenario, which was we'll let Cincinnati do a little of our dirty work with Jacksonville, and then we control whether or not if we don't want Cincinnati around, we can control that. We just get rid of them. We just beat them. And they're gonna have the same thing as well on their plate two weeks from now when it's Pittsburgh. Like there, there are many 
playoff games, if you will. I, I get the old narrative, oh, every game the rest of the way is a playoff game. And it kind of is when you're fighting to be able to get into the playoffs with five games to play. But Cincinnati, in the hunt. Pittsburgh, in the hunt. Las Vegas, in the hunt. Houston, in the hunt, in the AFC. Won't worry about the Falcons and the dreaded NFC South. But you have these mini playoff matchups where not only are you controlling your own destiny, you're impacting the matchups and the playoff hopes of other teams. At worst for the Colts, with where things are outlined right now, and the fact that just an awful loss for Pittsburgh against Arizona over the weekend, Colts could be looking in a glass half full world where they don't get the division as high as the five seed, which it felt like they were just going to hang around seven throughout right. this process, to maybe a four seed if more falls their way with Jacksonville struggles. If Trevor Lawrence is forced to win some time, at that point, you're a four seed. You get to host a playoff game. By the way, an ankle sprain was the initial diagnosis. There's been no updated reports yet with an MRI or anything in that regard of how much time Trevor Lawrence will have to miss. But what they reported last night still stands that it appears it's a heavy ankle sprain. You know, the you forget the Jags have already swept the Colts. So they're, there's a big mountain to climb in terms of that, right? High ankle sprain from Doug Peterson just a few minutes ago. Now, high ankle sprain leaves somebody out. How Those can linger. Well. Honestly. It can. A lot of quarterbacks... It's different I, for a running back than a quarterback, though, right? Yes. And somebody highlighted, I can't remember if it was... Who it was nationally on Twitter, so I apologize for not giving the right attribution here. A lot of quarterbacks practice things like yoga, things like flexibility exercises to be able to put those muscles in strenuous situations. It's part of the reason that, was it last year, right, during the Chiefs playoff run, Patrick Mahomes gets his ankle rolled up against Jacksonville in the divisional round game, but he's able to power through it and play through it because that's part of his rehab. That appears what it is with Trevor Lawrence. Not the first time he's had a high ankle sprain or an ankle sprain of that regard. It varies person to person, but Jake, you're right. Oftentimes you're looking at at least a game missed, you would think. Right. But again, I, you know, I, I think by look of it yesterday, I think most people thought to themselves, he's out for the year. Yeah, I thought an ankle was broken or right. just something, ligament damage, something like that, yeah. Now, he is a quarterback that his wheels come into play a little bit, and that probably is limited now, but he can still still got a pretty decent arm, right? Yep. Pretty decent arm. Um, th- it's funny with the AFC and the NFC. The AFC, like in the NFC, you've got – and I still think the best team in football when healthy is the San Francisco 49ers. Right behind them, you know, Dallas is pretty good. Dak Prescott, if he continues to play like this, Dallas is, is obviously you know, right there. And you can't rule out Philadelphia because Philadelphia just is very poised down stretches. Those three are automatically better. Who's the best team in the AFC? Baltimore? It's either Baltimore or, or Miami right now. Miami's pretty good. You're right. I, but all, both of those feel like they would slot fourth in the NFC, right? I would agree. In the AFC, you've got Baltimore, who – don't we do this every year with Baltimore? We're like, yes. really? They're still around? Well, yes, but it's the first time in a couple of years because of the Jackson injuries. But, yes, throughout the totality of the Ravens, this is what it feels like. You have yes. Miami, who is very electric and has a ton of speed at every position. Yep. Kudos to Miami. Credit to them. Tip the cap. You got Kansas City, who is resting on its laurels a little bit. For whatever reason, they just, they're kind of, you feel like they can flip a switch at any time. 
but you also wonder if maybe they haven't the roster hasn't been picked just enough where they don't have it in every gear that typically they that we're used to and then like the AFC is like the AFC kind of feels to be honest with you and I'm not going to say any country specifically as to offend anybody but like when you were a kid and you studied the economics of like second world countries they have like this small you know the uh, 90% of the wealth in that country is comprised of 5% of the population and there's no middle class and then bo- that's what the AFC is the AFC is one of those countries, right? It's yeah. like a caste system. They, they've got you've got this upper wealth, like of of Baltimore, Miami, and then like maybe Kansas City and maybe Jacksonville, and then you just have this. I don't even know if you'd call it a middle class. You just have like everybody else in this, yeah. as I call it, the vat of, of of. It's not the vat of suck, but it's like the vat of mediocrity, right? Yep. I mean, quite frankly, the Colts are having a really good year that, that exceeded expectation, but they're kind of mediocre, aren't they? I'll give them credit because they're mediocre that's done well by beating up on literally. I mean, like. If the Colts were playing a first place schedule right now, and it's a moot point, right? The, the, because the you Colts, play what you have, they would not be in a playoff position the right Colts now. The Colts have bolstered their own economy basically by, like, kind of picking off of, like, four straight panhandlers, right? Sure. But again, I mean, not, if you really want to be honest, not their fault if four four of them are going to line up. I it, mean, I'm just saying. Go. I mean, right? Yeah, no, that like what is what is what is New England, right? They lost six nothing. I know six nothing. New England's on. like shutting people down, <laughs> not giving up any points, and losing all of them. Six, they, they they haven't surrendered ten points in like three straight games, and they're zero and three. Six points were scored in the second quarter of that Chargers Patriots game. Nobody else scored after that. I, I mean. Is it what is New England doing offensively other than being offensive, right? Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? I I think about this sometimes. Somewhere in this country, there's a prison where they had a vote and they're like, okay, what NFL game are we going to show <laughs> this week? Or like somebody in this country has a TV. Somebody in this country is stuck in a motel somewhere in a rainstorm where they pulled over and got some fleabag motel room because their car's not running well. And it's got some terrible tube television. And the only channel that was on is the Chargers and Patriots game. That was the, that was the joke Ugh. as a kid. Are you kidding as me? As a Chiefs fan is that, yeah, they're probably showing this game in prisons today. Like, yeah. Because I mean, yeah. one time yep. uh, when I was when – I was, in right after college, the first of my buddies to get married got married in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. So we load up everybody and we go out to Honesdale, Pennsylvania, which is like kind of outside the Poconos. And we 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 stayed in a motel called the Tuckum Inn. Okay, a motel. How is that spelled? Uh, the inn actually had both. I will give them credit. They did the play on words, right? So so we have 10, 10 rooms in this motel, and we took up nine of them. Without question, the most unfortunate circumstance to mankind are the poor SOBs that had room 10, right? Because my buddies and I take up rooms one through nine. Except for we became we, – we took over the throne of most unfortunate SOBs because I kid you not, the room that myself, Mike Byron, and Kevin Sirhan Donner shared together, the television was broken and only got one channel, which was showing a marathon of small wonder. 
Now, have you ever seen this, the worst sitcom in the history of no, television? It's about some robot girl from the early 80s, and it's 1993, and we're watch- or 1996 or something, <laughs> and we're watching it, and it's the only thing on. Okay, and we're in this town of nothing. So in between, when we had to go to like the rehearsal dinner and the, and the whatever else, we're, we're like, let's just go back and like drink Rolling Rocks and watch Small Wonder, <laughs> right? That's had that had to be what it felt like yeah. if you were somebody that was subjected to watching the forty minute or whatever it is crap fest, forty eight minute crap fest of the Patriots. And I don't even know how we got off on this tangent, but how bad do the Patriots suck? Is what I'm getting at. They're terrible for some reason. They're not in the eliminated tab of the NFL playoff picture, but the Panthers are. I'd like a slight explanation on that. I get it. It's probably a mathematical equation. They need one more loss, but yeah, Jake, people paid to go see that game. And I don't even think if you're a Chargers fan, you're all that happy about it. Like, yeah, you got to win. That's great. But you scored six points, and you're still nowhere near the thick of things in the playoff picture. Uh, Eddie White says Honesdale was home with a world-famous five-star basketball camp. I thought for certain. I'm not going to dispute Eddie. He would know. Uh, but I thought five-star basketball camp, which was uh, Garfinkel's camp and was huge, 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 huge back in the hoop scoop days of coming out with and producing the list of the best players in the country. I thought that was right outside of Pittsburgh, which is how partially John Calipari, I think Calipari might have been an assistant at Pitt in the heyday of Five Star, which is how he was able to load up on players to ultimately follow him to UMass and then to Kentucky. I I thought for sure Five Star was outside of Pittsburgh, but Eddie's a Pennsylvania native, so I will absolutely defer to his knowledge on that. By the way, Dustin Doprak to talk about the exciting and electric night last night at the Fieldhouse is coming up in 15. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jimmy, I really do want to know more about, like, the details of your Lambeau visit. Because it is a special place. You want to do a Q&A style? You want... Yeah, we'll do it that okay. way. That's fine. All right. Yeah. Uh, did you stop anywhere on the drive up? I mean, like, did you, like... I don't mean, like, for gas. I mean, like, did you stop and, and see stuff along the way? No, not really. Okay. Straight through. So you stayed in Appleton, correct? We did. Okay. And you got there on Saturday night? Yeah, by Saturday afternoon, late Saturday afternoon. Okay, so then what did you do Saturday night? We went to a uh, Stone Creek pub and brewery, mm-hmm. got some cheese curds, which were some of the best I'd ever in had. In Appleton or in Green Bay? This one was in Appleton. Okay. Um, it was delightful. Did you get a? Did you have a spotted cow? I did have spotted cow. Not yeah. at that specific spot, did but I did have spotted cow. you overrated? I've had it before, so I think, it's, I think it is slightly overhyped, but I enjoy yeah. it. It's decent, right? Yeah. I mean, it tastes like basically Sun King cream ale, right? Yeah, Similar. close to it. Okay. I'd say um, close comparison. Okay, so then on Sunday, did you tailgate? Well, so first, we went to dinner on Saturday okay. in Appleton, and we went to what is called- You, know, you should have gone to Applebee's. That would have been on point. I don't know how many, if any, are in Appleton, though. I did not check that far. We instead went to Lombardi Steakhouse. Okay. Which was 
fine. I'm sorry to report back. From an aesthetic standpoint, it was insane. If you're a Packers fan, it was super cool. The when you're at the okay. Lombardi Steakhouse, do you ever feel compelled halfway through the dinner to just go, what the hell's going on out there? And just, you know what I mean? Yes, I did. I, I got It was weird. It was like I was in a trance, and I had to really dig deep for self-control to not do that. Um, right. But no, it was it was fine. I will say, this is just one steakhouse in Wisconsin. I'm not pandering here. I mean it. It doesn't hold a candle to St. Elmore's or anything we have here. It was fine. Right. It was it was fine. Sunday now. Shift there in terms of your, your interview questions. Okay, so Sunday, um, it was a was it, I can't remember, was it the night game or was it the... Yeah, it was night, night game. Okay. 820, yep. So you had the, the day free. Did you get to Green Bay or like did you go straight to Green Bay? We went effectively when the lots opened, which would have been 302 Central, so about so 4 o'clock. did you here. tailgate? We did. Did you tailgate with Packer fans? We did. Did you find them to be friendly or competitive? Friendly. Okay. Um, and then during the game itself, were people like, did, did, were you taunted ever? No. There was friendly ribbing occasionally. Like, there were Taylor Swift comments made, which, whatever, I don't care. Uh, somebody, we went and got brunch at, like, I think it was Maple Syrup Cafe or Maple Leaf Cafe in Appleton, and somebody said, uh, hey, so you guys go to the Taylor Swift concert tonight? Like, you know, it's little, little, whatever, right, right. funny, haha, stuff like that. But no, everybody's very friendly. Um, no direct taunts. The best taunt I got all day, which I shook the hand of the gentleman that made it because it was hilarious. End of the game, there was a non-pass interference call on... Marquez Valdez scantling the Chiefs receiver. He kind of got mauled. Kansas City had gotten a call before that on a roughing the passer they that did. wasn't roughing that, the that passer. Was so, terrible. Well, yeah, he was he was he was inbounds. They they were gifted that. Shouldn't have been a necessary roughness. So well, it evens out, right? But I was like livid that they didn't get this call. And the guy in front of me turned around and he goes, He's a Packers fan. And remember, Marquez Valdez scantling, most of his career was in Green Bay. He's like, he wasn't gonna catch it anyway. And I <laughs> I laughed and I go, all right, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, that's true. He, he probably wasn't going to catch it. So no, it was it was good. It was very. Um, they're they're a rabid fan base, but it was never directed really towards us. So you have been you have seen the Chiefs on the road in how many places? Two. Oh really? Yes. There and where? Here. Here. The other six or seven games which, we've been at Arrowhead. Which one did you find to have a better fan opposing fan experience? How do you mean? The way fans cheered or the way I was received? The way you were received. It agreed back. Okay. I'm sorry to say that to Colts fans, yeah, I and I will, I will concede the last time I went, which wasn't the Chris Jones game, it was last Colts Chiefs game I went to was 14 when the collapse happened and Andrew yeah, Luck yeah. diving Superman. Yeah, that so was the friend, right. That was the friendliest Colts fans have ever been to me as a road Chiefs fan. I think it was part because they even couldn't believe what had happened. So... But but I've had, there's, there were some antics done in, in, in previous instances as a child at Lucas Oil. Uh, Linda joins us on the program. Hi, Linda. How are you? Hello, Jake. Linda, I, I, I'm all, you are, I believe, uh, you're the second female caller we've had in the history of this program, which I'm excited about. Can, can we hire you for the company here, Linda? Please do. Okay. Please what, do. what division would you like to be in charge of? Uh, something to do with basketball would do great. All right, Linda. I, I, how about Linda, director of round ball? How's that? I love it. Okay, okay, I'll take. You're the hoops director, Linda. All right, what's on your mind, Linda? Um, I wanted to confirm that uh, the five star camp was definitely outside of Pittsburgh at Robert Morris College. Robert Morris. Now, Linda, if you don't mind me asking, because I love love the confirmation. Okay, 
You know yeah. this how. Like how and I'm impressed it's that you fun. but I mean the five star camp is pretty esoteric, so I'm impressed. Yes. Well my my son went there and you went to school with him at North Central, so there you go. No wait, your son did he was he a basketball player at the at five star? Yes, yes. And, and, and recruited by John Calipari to UMass. That ought to tell you who it is. Well, you know what? Let me tell you something, Linda. Now, can I say who your son is? Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Let me tell you something, Linda. When I was a sophomore in high school, your son, and I'm assuming your son is Tony Barbie, correct? You got it. So Tony Barbie, who went to Eastwood with me, but was two years older than I, at North Central, was, I thought, a huge slight for the Indiana All-Star team in 89. He had 49 against – he had 49 down – he had 49 against Perry Meridian, and then I think 47 maybe against New Albany. But here's the thing, Linda, and I, and this is where I'm going to tip my cap to you. Yes. As you know, adolescence and high school years for boys is very competitive. And there's a lot of ribbon that goes on. There's a lot of, you know, just, just overall uh, hazing probably is a better word. Um, Tony Barbie, who was the best athlete of my four-year era at North Central oh, and was you. two years older than I, I was a not very good basketball player as a freshman. He was obviously playing varsity at that time. I don't know from a star player standpoint that I have ever seen at any level a star player that was more open-armed to the younger guys and lesser players and a better teammate and a better guy to me as a young person than Tony Barbie. He was absolutely the creme de la creme face of what you would want your star athlete to be. Well, I thank you so much. I'm very proud of him. Now, all of that said, Linda, I have yes. to overlook the fact that he did work for Kentucky basketball. I mean, you know, well, really? Really? But, you know, I, I was only a fan for Kentucky while he was there. So that was <laughs> well, I hey, I went and saw Kentucky play against Auburn when he was the head coach at Auburn, and I was, uh, oh, I was screaming I for Auburn, play. believe you me, right? Yeah, they almost beat him. That's almost. right. Well, hey, heck of a player, and obviously John Calipari and he have a great relationship, and I love the loyalty from both of them. Linda, I appreciate it. You you know what? You are actually now, you are simply the Barbie doll. You're the director of Barbie doll. How's that? Well, that works, too. All right. Linda, I appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you. You too. All right. Tony Barbie was a great player at UMass, helped John Calipari go to the Sweet 16, and then has been a great coach throughout uh, Dustin Dopierak going to join us. We're going to talk about the Pacers from last night next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Listening to Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. By the way, Linda, if you're still listening, I've been usurped here, and I agree with this. I had said the direct the the director of Barbie, I believe. Uh, somebody's like, no, Jake. Linda is the official team mom of the company. Love it. Yes. We need orange slices here, please. <laughs> and, and the little plastic like keg look at carl do you remember like in the like the little foil top that you'd pull off the little plastic punch things that came in like a barrel yes the little plastic barrels yes 
and I think it was the same liquid that they froze it in to make Otter Pops, but you can't take the first sip without coughing because it has like this tinge that hits the yeah. back of your throat. Yep. Am I the only neurotic person that, that had that happen? No, I don't think so. It's a common shared experience Thank there. you. I appreciate it. I would have said Capri Suns, but I'm glad that I was able to deliver. Well, Capri Suns, what was your batting percentage on the, the straw of it not snapping before you actually got it into the pouch? Uh, 50-50? Not great. Yeah. In the minor leagues at best. Uh, joining us now, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so based on that conversation, he covers the Indiana Pacers, who last night got a big win in the in-season tournament over the Boston Celtics at the Fieldhouse. Dustin Doperak joins us from the Indianapolis Star. And, and Dustin, I'll begin with this. I, I had to remind myself, and I try not to be, and I don't think more. I think more often than not, I'm not somebody that falls into hyperbole. I had to remind myself on multiple occasions last night, wait a minute, this is not a playoff game. It had an atmosphere from the very beginning. That was as good an atmosphere as I've seen in the field house in quite some time. What say you? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely the best that I've seen on the speed. Obviously, I haven't been on the speed very long. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just from the very – from before the beginning, I mean, there was obviously an atmosphere when you just walked in the building, you could get a sense that everybody was locked in. You know, that the, there was a crowd that, that knew it was experiencing something different. I mean, like, I, I mean, there were empty seats in the joint, but you have to think about, like, this game didn't exist, you know, a couple weeks ago. Nobody, you know, this, this wasn't a game that you could put on your calendar in October and say, I'm going to be there on Monday night. Um, but, you know, like, I, I think McConnell mentioned it just from, like, the towels on the seats, you know, just like it's, it's a thing that you only see in the playoffs in sort of every way, uh, every um, move was made to make it feel like a playoff game. And I think you add to the fact, obviously, the Pacers haven't been in one in a while. Um, so I think everybody was there really embraced that. It's just like, okay, like, we're going to just get get after somebody. And we're going to treat this like, you know, all of the frustrations of, of the last few years of not being able to be there and having to start over and rebuild. You know, we're going to just pour all of this into it and, you know, just remind ourselves what it was like to be a part of that again. And they did. And you add on, you know, the court's. Whether you think it's good looking or not, it obviously made it feel different. The, the jerseys, the everything, the fact that it was the Boston Celtics in the building, the fact that you're the you know you're on TNT and you're the only game on uh, you know nationwide at that point, just everything you know kind of combined together to make it feel again like a postseason experience, which is obviously I think what the NBA was going for when it when it went for this in the first place. The Pacers I think really embraced it because they are young, because so many of them haven't played in a postseason game. Uh, it was a way to kind of uh, um, not manufacture, but kind of organically grow that experience and have it in December. Uh, and they all bought into it, and then they played a phenomenal basketball game. And, and Halliburton, you know, playing through um, – an illness that, that pretty much had him floored on Saturday, uh, getting an inhaler in halftime and everything like that, and then getting a triple double and, and not, you know, knocking in this dramatic four point play. Like, I mean, everything, you know, comes together that, that, I mean, the Pacers as a city, as an organization, as a franchise, as a team, uh, really met the moment um, and, and made it as big as you could make it uh, for this event. Dustin, who was the best player for the Pacers on the floor last night, not named Tyrese Halliburton? I think um, sometimes I definitely thought Aaron Neesmith um, because, I mean, even though, you know, Brown and Tatum still get 30 each, 
Uh, I thought Naismith had some really big moments, and but I, I think really defended hard. And I think they they made it tough, uh, you know, on the Celtics. I mean, that, that Boston shoots forty seven point four percent from the floor, which is an, you know, which, which is which is a pretty solid number. The twelve of forty one from three, and I thought that was a really big deal because they hit twenty uh, in the first game, and that's really where they knocked them out. Um, you know, which is Boston was just knocking down threes in the beginning. I think they were eight of ten in the first quarter in that game uh, in Boston, and you know they just never really got rolling. And part of that was because they just you know the, the, the Pacers made a point to make everything hard, make everything difficult, you know, get in their way, contest shots, you know, make uh, even the mid-range stuff as hard as they possibly could. Um, you know, again, the Celtics are going to score their points, but I mean, like, 112 is a good number for the Pacers. You know, 112 was a good number, and I think Neesmith was a really big part of that. Uh, but there were other guys, too. I mean, obviously, you know, Buddy Hill 7-11 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3. The, the three-pointer that he hits down after the four-point play is such a big shot. Because that's the one um, that, that's really the knockout blow. I mean, like you know, you, you get the four point play with 133 to go, and you're you know Boston staggering, and it's like all of a sudden you go from it's tied to you're down two, you know, for the most part two possessions. Uh, you know, Buddy puts you down three possessions. Uh, you know, with with around a minute to go. I mean, that was just a massive shot. Um, you know, and so I mean, he's the, the other one at the end doesn't really matter, but still, I mean, he was it, that was a really big shot. You know, so Neesmith played well. McConnell had some moments. I think Matherin, even though it was five of 14 from the field, the four. Four of seven threes were a big deal, um, and Turner, um, you know, I, I think a second straight double double. I mean, he he was the best center on the floor. Uh, you know, the Pacers didn't use the second one, but I mean, I think you know Turner was able to take take advantage of some good mismatches. Um, you know, with Porzingis off the floor, you know, you, you need to take advantage of that with Turner. I thought he really did. Um, so just. You know, everybody's got a case, but I mean, if I got to rank him in order after Halliburton, I'd probably go Neesmith healed. Doesn't appear like Pacers beat writer for the Indy Star is our guest. Dustin, where is the line of a proper observation about what this team can do defensively after that game? And what I mean by that is Jake and I were talking about it in the opening segment, and while there's still turnstile-like defense on the wings, they were able to lock in for a large part of that fourth quarter, especially those final five minutes. So, So where is the proper line? Is it they can do it? when they're locked in like that or is it well this is great they've done it once but they need to get better in totality on the defensive end yeah i mean it's closer to the second thing i mean i it, it, they, they don't have a very high ceiling defensively and so obviously the mat you know the, the thing is that they, they don't have to they, they don't even have to be mediocre they, they just have to be regular bad um for as good as this offense is i mean so and and by what i mean by that is if they're like 25th 24th, 23rd uh, in, you know, points allowed per game in defensive rating, they're going to win a whole bunch of games. I mean, that, that puts them in, in somewhere in the 47, 48 range, I think, if they're just, you know, if they, they just take a couple ticks to where they are now. I don't think they even have to be a top 20 defense um, to be a safe playoff team. You know, again, getting to the point where they can think about winning the East is a different ball game, but getting in the tournament, maybe even getting safely in as like a six seed, you know, for as much as they score, I mean, they, they, like, again, just regular bad as opposed to really, really bad uh, gets them in. And, and I think that, you know, last night's performance tells you that is doable. And again, you know, we're complimenting them for a night where they gave up 112, you know, Boston shot 47.4 from the field, uh, 4% from the field. Tatum and Brown get 30 each. Um, and there were definitely some moments where, I mean, I, I am shocked. You know, I looked at the box score at the end. I'm like, but Drew Holiday was really only three of nine with nine points. Like, there was a moment where I was like, he could take anybody off the floor, you know, off the dribble that he wants to and, and just, you know, just dunk on people. And I'm really kind of surprised he only ended up with three field goals out of that. Um, but, you know, there's still. 
you know, they're 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 not a great defensive team. They're not going to be a great defensive team. There's just there are just shortcomings there. I mean, there are only so many guys that you can really trust to guard um, at all, and they don't have a really big wing defender that you can trust. It's like a you know, I think I think Obi Thompson has some really good moments. He's not a great defender. Aaron Neesmith is a pretty good defender. You know, he's not a top of the list you know type of guy you know nationally in the in the whole league. Uh, Halliburton, I thought had some good moments where he really fought, um, but man, they really picked on him in the first half especially when he was really, you know, hurting from the illness. They tried to get him uh, in some switches so they could really attack him off the bounce, and you can. I mean, he's a really good off-the-wall defender, really smart guy who goes and, and gets steals. Um, but if you're attacking him off the bounce, you can usually beat him. I mean, they're, they're just um, – they only have so many really good defenders on that team, and they play a lot of guys who can really score but, but can't really defend. So they're not going to be a great defensive team. It's not a scenario where, like, oh, if they just want it bad enough, they're going to hold everybody at 95. They're not. You know, they're, they're not at that level. But if they get their best effort and you get some quality minutes from, you know, the McConnells, you know, the, the Neesmiths, you know, even Matherin when he's, you know, locked in on defense, uh, you can get a team that is functional enough to win if you're going to average 125 a night. Dustin Dopirak is our guest from the Indianapolis Star. We're talking about the Pacers with him. Dustin, at the beginning of the year, I, I think a lot of people thought, certainly I did, that the Pacers were kind of in a slow, not even a slow, the Pacers were, were headed towards the direction of handing the the Robin Mantle, if you will. If Tyrese Halliburton is clearly Batman, that the Robin Mantle was shifting over slowly towards Benedict Matherin, and that maybe this year was when they were officially going to kind of make that change. And Buddy Heald seemed to say, yeah, I got other ideas with that. I know that Heald maybe isn't like – as consistent as he might have been as a younger player, but he definitely, to me, seems to be one that Halliburton has a chemistry with on the floor. Is Heald solidifying the case that after turning down the Pacers' initial offer that they're going to have to increase what they can to solidify him long-term? He's making making a good case that they should up the ante. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that you can give the guy a max deal, you know. I mean, and, and I don't know that you can talk about him in a Robin sense um, because I still think. I mean, he's not consistent enough that you're going to say, okay, like you know, any, any night that you need it, buddy can get you twenty uh, or twenty-five or whatever. I mean, I, I don't think he's there, and obviously, you're not getting a ton on the sense event. But on the flip side of that, he's just such a force as a shooter, and you know, obviously, the chemistry with Halliburton is great, but the gravity is really an important piece too. Like, you can't leave him. Um, and, and if you do, you're going to pay for it. So, like, you know, in, in most cases, so it just opens up so much operational space uh, for Halliburton in the middle of the floor. If he wants to run pick and roll or he just wants to drive on you, you know, like he, you know, he old commands attention, you know, and, and has a gravity that Matherin doesn't quite have. And, and Matherin probably, you know, is a better one-on-one player, is a better maybe, you know, like uh, there are things that he can do that are that are beyond Buddy's reach, and I think there's still a capacity for Matherin uh, as a defender that I don't think Buddy necessarily has. And so it's it is definitely an awkward scenario that the Pacers are in in terms of like what do you do long term? There's a you know it it makes sense right now if you're trying to win on a given night to play to start Buddy and to put him with Halliburton, and that puts together your best offensive lineup. Your long term you know 
question is a whole lot murkier because, again, I think there's a ton of potential for Matherin. Obviously, he's still a kid. He's still, what, 21. I don't think he's 22 yet. Um, and, you know, he still plays with all kinds of ferocity, and his, his drive and finish game is great. He had some big threes last night. Um, you know, you know, if we're talking about a guy to be a consistent number two, he's got a lot more potential there. But then again, you know, as you're saying, I mean, Heald has still got a lot more years left of being a really, you know, lights-out shooter. Um, and so, and, and again, that just pairs so well with the way Halliburton plays. And that's the other element to it is just, I don't know that you're going to see Matherin max out if he's playing next to Halliburton, because so much of what Halliburton does is based on the ball constantly moving. Um, and for Matherin to really max out, he's really got to let the ball stop with him sometimes. So he can sit there and, and, you know, rock somebody to sleep with some one-on-one moves and, you know, just get a guy on the perimeter and cross him up and jab step and then beat him and go, you know, get to the lane and, and draw a foul and whatever. Like there's got to be some capacity to Matherin for, to play some ISO game. And for as fast as they play with Halliburton, you know, there's not really the the same amount of, you know, uh, leeway or, or, or time with that. It can happen in a couple possessions, but that's not who they are. Like, you know, who they are with Halliburton, their best the ball is just popping, popping, popping. And then somebody gets either a catch or shoot three or a layup. Um, you know, and that's less that that doesn't maximize Matherin as much. So, bottom line, it's a tricky situation. Hield is absolutely making the case to be paid more money, um, and but there's just a question of like the, the Pacers have to make some decisions long term in terms of like who, where are you going to commit with this, and you know what what even does Ben Matherin's future look like um, if Halliburton is as he is the clear franchise player, and you're making everything built around him. Pacers beat writer for the Indy Star, Dustin Dupirak, joins us. Dustin, the first part of this is it's the identity of this team this year. We've known it with the pace they want to play at. But in wins, about 44% from beyond the arc. In losses, roughly 31% from downtown. In some clunkers in there, 25%, 23%, 13%. In terms of where they go from here, regardless of what happens on the defensive end, is this safe to say with where they want to go? Not necessarily it's completely live or die by the three, but that is how they're going to flow to where they want to go offensively this year is they're either going to be on point from beyond the arc on a nightly basis or they're going to struggle and really have an uphill battle to get back into a ball game. I mean, for the most part, I mean, I mean it, it's obviously they, they are going after what are considered the, the you know, it, it's the basic NBA formula at this point right. since the game has been spread out. It's it's three-pointers and layups. Um, and it's, you know, it's using the three to open up the middle of the floor so that you can get them easier. And, I mean, like, they're also uh, they're scoring a ton of points in the paint. Um, you know, I mean, they, if, if they're not you know, at the top of the league, it's up there because, you know, a lot of those are, are fast break points. Um, you know, they're getting those as well. I mean, so they they have a chance to get in the game. And that, and that I think, goes back to uh, the defense as well of saying, like, okay, you, you've – You've got to be able to win if you're not going off from three. You've, you've got to be able to win games if it's just the layups you're getting. You know, if, if the threes aren't going down that night, if you're only getting, you know, 10 or 12 as opposed to, you know, 18 or 19 or 20, um, are you still, uh, you know, can you still get, the, you know, get close enough and, and they, they really need to. Um, so, but I, I think, so it's, it's, it is going to be a little bit like that. They, they just, they have to have enough shooting. They don't have to go nuts every night, um, but they're not going to, they're going to have a really hard time winning if they're not going to knock them down. And that's just, it's just the way they play. Again, it's, it's a lot of setting up for catches and catch and shoot stuff. Um, Halliburton's creating open ones. I mean, that's the other piece to it is, is that you, you know, it's not a scenario where you have to knock down three, you know, contested, 
you know, fadeaways in somebody's face all the time. Um, you know, for the most part, Halliburton's going to get you a T-ball one. Um, and so you got to be able to hit the ones you get. And, you know, Toppin or Brown or anything, when those guys are shooting, when it's when it's not only healed, it's also Toppin and Brown and Turner, uh, then they're really, really effective. If those guys go cold, they have an issue. Um, you know, obviously, Halliburton, it seems like, is going to hit his, and, and, and it's not really, you know, he's hitting step-back fadeaways from 25, 30 feet and his percentage is crazy i mean like you know obviously that's a big piece of it is is you know every once in a while he has a rough one and, and then that everything goes downhill from there but um he's been absurdly consistent considering the type of threes he's taken they're off the dribble uh you know fadeaway stuff step back stuff and he's at like 44.7 that's wild um so they they're good enough shooters, shooters that they can be a basis for them. But, but as you said, I think for them to really win games, it's it's got to be you know they've they've got to have Toppin and Brown and Turner at least one of those guys hitting a couple on top of Halliburton and Hield. Dustin, you've been to Vegas. I have. If you were, and I don't know if you're if you're going specifically for this game or not, um, but if you had free time in Vegas, would you rather do a like just walk the strip? B do the Beatles, Cirque du Soleil, or see see you two at the Sphere? Oh, if I had that kind of money, I'd go to I, I'd, I'd go to you two at the Sphere. Yeah, I, it, that'd be really cool. Everybody I, I, I know, know that's gone that. said it's unreal, right? Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. I mean, I'd I'd watch. You know, like I'm not a huge U2 fan, but like I mean, I'd I'd, I'd watch them in the you know like Basement Club. I mean, that's that's just a good band, and like they you know, put. T- Top it on with the whole experience that it has to be. Uh, yeah, I mean that would that would be awesome. There's, there's, I, I don't know what it costs. I'm not even going to look because I know. I, I looked and it was like seven hundred. I think. I mean, it was a lot. Oh, yeah, Jesus. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dear Lord, no. But uh, but yeah, no. I mean that that has to be an awesome show. You know, and so if I if 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 money was not an object and those were my choices, I would I would pick that one by long shot because that's just you know uh, a rare experience. That's got to be a really cool show. So Pacers will find out tonight not whether or not they get tickets to the Sphere, but who they will be playing in Vegas. It's going to be Milwaukee or New York, correct? That's right. Okay, and they will find that out, and then that game will be played on uh, Thursday night, correct? Yep. And if they win that, they early. play Saturday, right? Correct. Yep. Yep. Final uh, Saturday. Against I believe I saw right. two o'clock Vegas time, five o'clock Indianapolis time for Thursday. I, I think that's, that's right. right. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's correct. I think it's the five o'clock tip. Afternoon mm-hmm. delight, baby. All right, Dustin. Sure. We appreciate the time as always, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Again, uh, Dustin Dopirak. You know, I have a hurdle with that. Yes, Dopirak. Yes, from the Indianapolis Star. I, you know, a friend of mine was just at. I have several people that I know that have gone to see you two at the sphere and it is wild because they, they sent somebody sent a video. They're like, Hey, you know, so-and-so's at the, at the sphere. And so my friend Casey, her husband was there, right? So she sends this video from Billy at the sphere and, and I see you two playing and I'm like, I didn't know they were playing New York. Well, the, have you seen the sphere? Like, do you know? I I've mean, seen I think, the videos of the sphere on the inside, and yeah. I had seen it the last time. So I was in it Vegas. changes. You, you know, the it's basically a three hundred. It's like an augmented reality type of deal. Totally, right? and it literally looked like they were just playing on like the pier. Actually, it was Chicago. The background was Chicago, and I'm like, I didn't know they're in Chicago at the pier, and it's <laughs> got to be cold outside, right? And then, but it is like that high def that it's amazing. I mean, to look at yeah. it, it's like during the. During the F1 race in Vegas, as they were going past the sphere, I don't know if you saw it, but at one point, 
So the sphere is this round object that is basically a a, a round high def screen. It was over a billion dollars, I think, to make it. But at different points as the cars would go past, it was like the the eyeball emoji, but the eyeballs were following the, the <laughs> eyeball was following the cars. Dude, it was crazy. Yeah. And I don't know, pardon my, my ignorance here, I don't even know when necessarily the sphere opened. I mean, within the last year, right? Yeah, it's been it's been within the last 12 months because they were still finalizing it. I was there in September of, what, 22? They were still finishing okay. construction on and, it. And, and you, where is it? It's right along the main strip, right? In that area, yeah. And U2 has a residency there, but I don't know how long that goes for. I don't either. I mean, you'd want to see... About anybody. By, by the way, I, I thought of this question real quick. Okay. You know the question I've asked you of the Vegas... I have, a, I have a theory on this. I had a long discussion with this with Michael Young the other day. Okay. You know the question I've asked you before, which is... We, we discussed this before, but for those that didn't hear it, you're on the Las Vegas Strip. Sure. You're going to be blindfolded. Okay. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. They spin you six times, and then you stop and you just point. But you got a blindfold on. You can't see anything. The first person you point to... And we're going to assume that they are American, okay? Sure. I know it's an international so it's a touristy place. Sure, sure. But the first person you point to, you don't know their age. Yep. You don't know their gender. You don't know their, um, and they might not either in today's day. And, and, and you don't know their, like their demographic in any way, shape, or form. They could sure. be a two-year-old girl. They could be a 98-year-old man, right? Sure. And the one that I've done with you before is you have to name one movie, and if they have seen it, you get a million dollars, right? Yep. Now, here's a better one for you. You ready? Okay. You have to name a song, and I don't mean like "Happy Birthday," and I don't mean like "Over the Rainbow." I mean a song that an artist, be it a solo artist or a band, recorded. Okay, you have to, you have to play one song, and if they are familiar with the song, they don't have to name the artist, but if they are familiar with the song and are able to at any point verify that they have previously heard the song you win a million dollars what would be the most recognized song amongst the american public regardless of age demographic or whatever else what would give you the best chance did you just exclude off the bat like christmas songs yeah so like so in other words this this and yeah interesting disclaimers right there's a lot of disclaimers you could make to it i don't mean like folk songs that are just part of like ring around the rosy or happy birthday happy birthday would be your obvious answer right sure so i mean a song that was a recorded like you know radio play billboard type song of you know of any genre granted but not specifically made just for like correct for like a seasonal thing i would have said thriller by michael jackson that's very high on the list very high on the list. But I do feel like maybe younger people yeah, that's faded a little bit. I know. Because Thriller is not the most famous song. Like Everybody knows the album and even the right, video, but right. I don't know that they remember the song. Sure. Carl? Satisfaction, Rolling Stones. Up there. That's a good one. How many five-year-olds have heard it? <laughs> None. That's the problem, right? <laughs> yeah. Thriller, I would somewhat agree, but how many, like at yeah. this point, a three to five-year-old. I have one. All right. I have one. That like we sat there, Michael Young and I sat there forever, okay, debating this. And then finally I like I had this epiphany and I said one and Michael's like, you know what? He's like, you might be right. And lo and behold, 
while we were having this discussion, they played a song at the Fuel game, and the like five-year-old girl behind us started screaming at the top of our lungs. And we're like, is that in the discussion? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. She, she, she might be an anomaly. But one of them that I mentioned, we got verification later, and he was like, you know what? You might be right. I'll tell you what it is next. And by the way, Stephen Holder going to join us at 2 o'clock today. Alec Pierce, an hour from now. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. either of the two of you which I'm talking about in terms of the song that would be the one that Michael Young and I sit there debating it back and back and back and back and forth right and it's kind of hard you know for example and I don't know what I don't know if it's I think it's NASA NASA launched like basically for all intent and purposes a time capsule into space but it's a capsule to show what life is like on Earth. And in it, they have a recorded song. What was that? I'm sorry. So that like when aliens find it, now how they're going to figure out how to play it, I have no idea. But but that, that you know they have like this explanation like this is what we call music. And that song they have is Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. Now, I, I don't know that like 10-year-olds would know Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. But the song is we were discussing this that came on, and this is not the answer I came up with, but a song played in the arena, and Michael and I both looked at each other and were like, holy cow, this group of like little kids behind us is going bonkers singing this song. What's open? Oh, wait a minute. We got What's an ad here. Sorry, what I had it queued up, and now it goes to an ad. Seems like everyone's Hang on. Hard pot that down there. Go ahead, cut it. Well, All right. Here we go. Right here. Summer. This is an older version of it, but this is Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond, obviously, right? Yep. Now, when they when he got to the chorus of this, the kids behind me went crazy. I believe it. So they all know that and everybody, but I don't think that wasn't what I came up with. There you go. Everybody happy? What I came up with, and, and you guys tell me if you agree, is this one. Is there any kid in any ballpark in America that doesn't automatically know this? And I don't know if you know this. So two to construction workers, cowboys, police officers, and sailors. That's got to be it to me. I I don't know what else it would be, but that is because of the American sports culture, Right. right? Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll Part Two would be up there, but I don't. But do you know that by name? Probably not. You know? Do you know it by name? I know, I know the song, but I know I, I know the sound of the song, but most people wouldn't be able to pull out. Correct, Gary Glitter. You know it, Jimmy. Uh, Gary Glitter Rock and Roll Part Two is. Um, oh, how, how does it go, Carl? Help me here. Da, da, 
Yeah, there you go. Thank you. But but nobody, if you say that, just like to that point right there, you're like, wait a minute, what's what song is that? Sure. But then you hear it, you automatically know what it is. Now, Sweet Caroline, what we're not going to discuss, as I've mentioned any time that it comes on, the thing about Sweet Caroline that I just refuse to discuss, even though I'm about to right now, he later, Neil Diamond, said that the song was about Caroline Kennedy. Okay? And that's cool, right? Camelot, Caroline Kennedy, ambassador to Australia. But Carl, can you look up for me what year Sweet Caroline, the song, came out? I'm going to guess at the latest 70. That's at the latest. Okay? 69. She was born in November of 57. I'm just going to leave that there and move on. <laughs> like, what's Neil doing, right? You don't want to know. I mean, what, what what's going on here, right? Don't Stop Believing is a really good one. Yep. Don't Stop Believing is I, a really good one. I but again, how many five-year-olds right. know it, right? I had thrown out... Seven Nation Army during the break, which you said you had previously discussed. Uh, the chorus of it, like it's another correct chant. But that, everybody... the problem with that one is, I think most people do probably know it. They know the the the, the like what is it like a bass line, a guitar line yeah. for it. Yes. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun, dun yes, right. But how many people then can name it? No. Right. I think anybody you play dun 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 dun. dun Three year old kid is jumping up with their arms in the yeah. air, right? Yeah. Uh, it was a YMCA carnival-like, crazy-like electric atmosphere last night at the Fieldhouse. And I said this earlier. I'm going to repeat again what I said earlier. I've seen the Pacers in a ton of different eras. I saw the Pacers back when when I was a kid in the Brown Curtain era. And anybody who's old enough remembers the Brown Curtain era at Market Square. They had a brown curtain they pulled around 60% of the way up the arena so that they didn't have to so that everybody just could pretend that 6,000 was a sellout. So they could come out and see Jose Slaughter and Clark Kellogg try to get win number 27 at the end of the year. And you know, I, I saw the games, and, and I remember what a thrill it was as a kid to be able to go to games and see them with Chuck Person and Reggie Miller buying their way and trying to break through and, and, and eventually get into the playoffs, and they would face the Knicks every year and get bounced, and you're like, ugh. And then it happened. Byron Scott hit the shot against the Magic. They advanced out of the first round, and you're like, I can't believe what's, what's happening here. And they beat the Knicks in – Game five and 94 and the 95, you know, everybody knows that, right? I saw those games at Market Square. I was lucky enough to go to a couple of the playoff games. I saw the games against the Bulls in 98. And I saw the era with Paul George and Victor Oladipo. Last night, Jimmy, to me, two things happened that I have not seen or felt in a very long time. The first is that Tyrese Halliburton exhibited again the ability to capture lightning in a bottle and take a game where either it takes it out of control or or out of reach for the other team or you feel like so long as he's out there and he gets that rhythm going that you have a puncher's chance at any point, right? Yep. And that was electric. 
And it's the first time Paul George was a wonderful player, the most versatile skilled player in the history of this franchise from an NBA standpoint. But Paul George late in games was like the only guy on the floor that felt like Paul George was about to take the game over. Victor Oladipo was a wonderful player and had the ability to take over games, but it was short-lived because of the injury and, and whatever else. And I don't know that he had like the two the, the step-back range that Halliburton has. And then after the game, leaving the field house and crossing over Delaware Street into the parking garage and horns are honking and people are high-fiving strangers and a guy as we're getting in the car is telling Shannon to be sure to yell at me that he's part of the company and it's this euphoric, incredible camaraderie, electricity where everybody just wants to literally go down and wrap their arms around the monument because it's like we love everything about Indianapolis in that moment and that's what makes pro sports so special. That's what makes it great, and I will readily admit, and I will confess right here on the radio, that I probably have become jaded for a number of different reasons, but I have detached myself from that euphoria, and quite frankly, at the risk of like being a total shill, I want to thank the Pacers last night for allowing me to again recapture the feeling of my early 20s of that euphoria and camaraderie that comes with sports. It was awesome, and it was a regular season game. And it's something that fans of any franchise, let alone small market franchises, continue to chase. You want the feeling, yes, of being in games, yes, of being competitive, but you want something that's yours, that is exclusively yours as a franchise player because you see all the the roses that are given to Jason Tatum or to Devin Booker or Kevin Durant or LeBron James, and and you want to have that in your own city. Tyrese still has a long way to go because he's only 23 years old, but – when I say he still has a long way to go, I mean the sky is the limit for him, and right. he's playing at this level right now at age 23. Yes, he has to get better as a defender. But look, great players have, at least in this era of the NBA, it doesn't need to be all elite defense. Look at Damian Lillard. He's often frequently criticized. I'm not saying that he's on that same level or in that Steph Curry level, but those are the kind of guys that get picked on defensively in mismatches. Tyrese got picked on a time or two last he night. He did. But that's room to grow for a 23-year-old rising star in this league. And Jake, further to your point, if you're a fan of the Pacers and you're following along with this team, you've known that this type of outpouring from him was bubbling at the surface and has been present on a nightly basis. And the national audience kind of just saw it for the first time last night. And yet, win or lose the NBA in-season tournament, is it going to necessarily dictate what they do in April and May? No, but that's not what this is about. It's about, A, enjoying where they're at right now because that feeling of euphoria and that feeling of we have a guy that's as good as anybody else in the league has been absent for six years. Like that Oladipo Pacers team that lost in seven to Cleveland, it was 2017. They've not really, because he had the injury the next year, they've right. not had that feeling ever since. And so for it to be recaptured and be present within the city after all the losing that's happened with both franchises, the Colts and the Pacers, the last five, six years, it's just such a I, It's what the in-season tournament was designed to yes. do, right? Yeah. Uh, Amy joins us. This is unbelievable. We're two for two here. Amy, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Amy, now you know you've called the fan, right? And this is Querying Company? I mean, this it is the show you're listening to? I've listened to you. I've, li I've listened to this radio station before your time. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate, the, yes, I appreciate no, that you're I sticking around. Yeah, no, I, I I love listening to you guys all the all day. Um, I 
want to make a comment, um, and I apologize if you've touched on it. The one thing that I really enjoyed last night was that I was sitting around true Pacers fans. I wasn't intermingled in between a bunch of Celtic fans. Um, like other other big profile games that have, we've played, there's always been a huge um, presence of our opposing team. Right. Last night, there were Pacer fans in that building, and it was so nice to see. It Let was me tell you, nice I agree, not that, Amy. Not that opposing teams are bad. No, I hear you. I mean, I've, I've been in some high-profile teams, I mean, games, and, you know, when we're not on the winning end, and it's miserable. Yeah, the, the, but, the like, um, lower 20% is a bunch of Carmel Pups kids in their Steph Curry jerseys, right? I, right. I, I think part of that, Amy, and I appreciate the call. Uh, Amy, would you like a position in the company, by the way? <laughs> in the Pacers? No, in the uh, in the Quarian Company on the program here. Oh, yes. yes I what the hell? I loved, I, loved you with, I loved you with Kevin in the morning. But okay, but, you know, here's I the thing. Like Just the for that, Amy, you are official liaison and ambassador for Pacers involvement. How's that? Oh my God, love it. All right, there you I go, love it. Amy. That's your title. I'll forget it. So next time you call in, it's up to you to remind me. Okay. Okay. All right, appreciate it, Amy. Here's the thing. Part of that is because, let's be fair and be honest. I would assume that part of the high percentage of Pacer fans in the building last night is because. At the beginning of the year, that wasn't scheduled as a Boston Celtic matchup. I can't remember how recently it was that we knew that that's who they were playing in the game, but it was, you know, last like within week. the last week, right? Yeah. So you didn't have time for people to plan that. That was back when we were explaining to you the ins and outs of the in season tournament. That's right. Yeah. Call. I still don't understand. Yeah. Saw your tweet last night. I like that. Look, I, I'm going to say to Amy's point, to, to embellish on or to add on to that, embellish is the wrong word, to add on to that a little bit. I said this earlier, but I'm going to repeat it. Um, Last night, the Pacers, something happened to me that was an epiphany. And it was probably for me, it's about, not to make this about me, but but something happened last night that was undeniably electric that, to me, encapsulated why it was so special. And it's a regular season game, and it's December, and it's a kind of like made-up tournament, if you will, with a different-looking floor and different-looking jerseys, and it allows them to go to Vegas, and who knows if they're going to win two more games. But something happened last night that I think summarizes what made it so unique. And I'll tell you what it is next. necessarily mean to open the door to the entire discography of the village people although this is a great song and so too is in the navy in the navy is my favorite uh, this listen this perfectly describes both of jimmy and myself yes right? to a team yeah let's be real right yes. okay so my doctor said yep so i'm going to give a little glimpse into kind of the, the mindset of sportscasting and how it relates to last night. 
when I was I grew up in Indianapolis and I was a massive my my sports fandom would have been IU basketball number one and the Pacers were very close behind it partially because the Pacers were so you know you were just chasing I mean they were really bad I, I didn't I didn't see the ABA years I knew of them but I didn't see them but I began, as I have mentioned before on this show, my broadcast career began in shadowing Ed Sorensen, who I didn't know at all. I called him up on the phone, asked if I could shadow him, and, and he took me under his wing. And I was literally his mini-me for, I don't know, 15 years. And very early in that, he sat me down and said, look, you're the biggest IU fan and Pacer fan. And, and the Colts moved here when I was in sixth grade, and I, I certainly got captivated by some of their their runs. But I didn't grow up in my most impressionable sports years with them because they were in Baltimore. But Ed said, look, if you're going to be a sportscaster in Indianapolis or wherever you go, you have to lose the fandom to be an objective media member. And that's kind of how it was ingrained in me. And, and you know, things have changed a little bit, admittedly. I mean, just, just coverages and, and, and all of the media, it's all changed a lot. But that's how it was 30 years ago. Not saying that's right or wrong, it's just how it was. And that's how, and he said to me, you need to pick a team that you probably will never have to specifically cover and let that be your outlet for fandom. And that's how I became a Clemson fan 30 years ago. I picked Clemson. He bought me a Clemson sweatshirt and, and off and running. I never lost, for, with, with Indiana basketball, because I had to cover them so much, especially like in college, just being around it. I saw it up close and personal to the point where I was able to, to separate myself a little bit from the fandom of it. And with the Pacers, their rise with Reggie Miller against the Knicks was right around the time that my buddies and I were first at the age of being able to go to bars and watch games. So that reinvigorated the Pacer fandom in me, right? But when I became a sportscaster in Indianapolis, it wasn't by design that I stayed here, but that's how it happened. I had to, again absorb that objectivity to when I was wearing a credential that I was able to watch games in a non-invested emotional interest so that I could truly objectively analyze what was happening without emotion coming into play on it. And I was able to do that. And I guess it took a little bit of the joy of sport out, to be honest with you. And then I started dating Shannon who was very emotionally invested in the Pacers. And so she, she was, as a result, the games meant so much to her and she would be upset if they didn't win big games that then like, I kind of had to double down even on my objectivity because I didn't want my emotion to like carry over or, or exacerbate like those situations. So I just have always watched games very stoically quite frankly except for Clemson football games where I'm a maniac but and I'm like you with the Chiefs and yeah. whatever else right and forever Jimmy I just accepted that that was how it was and I and I didn't really know any different because that's how it's been in my entire adult life so all of that said what I'm getting at is not necessarily a soliloquy even though I've turned it into such about my emotion of it but last night when Buddy Heald hit the three that took their lead from four to seven inside of a minute I stood up and did like a fist pump. And then I realized that in all of the games that I've been fortunate to attend for the Pacers or for the Colts or for, for the teams around here, 
that was the first time that I outwardly showed like this this release of a euphoria over a play. And it and I thought to myself that like breakthrough moment, my, 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 it's not your fault. Goodwill hunting moment where everything finally just came flooding out of me was the result of a December regular season game against the Boston Celtics of all things. And I thought to myself, you know what? Like, this is fun. And that's what sports should be. This is cool. And like, People celebrating and feeling joy and euphoria and just forgetting about all of the the nonstop crap that's going on in the world and all of the hostilities that take place and the pressures of work and just letting it all go at the game. Yeah, I'm late to the party. 30 years too late to it. I get it. Welcome. But but you know what? Like that's what that game did. Yeah. For 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 like every it's been too long for this city. That were that that's the reasons why I haven't I've been stoic. But for so many Pacer fans listening to my voice right now, they're like the reason I've been stoic for so long, Jake, is because there haven't been a lot of those moments. And you're chasing the high of what you previously knew. And what we previously knew in this town was Victor Oladipo saying, This is my city. And Lance Stevenson like doing the air guitar and Reggie Miller hitting a big shot and circling around and dancing around the floor. And last night, all of those moments felt like exactly that because of a regular season game on a weirdly painted floor with weird looking jerseys on that looked like they were at the discount Bennett finish line. But you know what? It was awesome. It was awesome. You're a decade removed from the last time the Pacers were near the height of the sport. That would have been the the end of the Pacers Heat saga. You are six years removed from the last time they had a player like this near or reaching the height of his powers where you felt like you could be in almost any game. And as a city, you're five years removed in terms of the two professional sports franchises where you lit you legitimately felt like you had a key position secured that is a key piece to totally. contending for championships. Totally. You have a guy on the floor that you feel like at any time when he's out there, you feel yeah. comfortable because as long as you see that guy on the floor, you think to yourself, we got a shot. And it's been a long time coming for this town. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Alec Pierce of the Colts is going to join us in 30 minutes. Before he does so, a guy that covers him and the rest of the franchise for ESPN is Stephen Holder, who joins us on the program. Uh, Stephen, I was saying earlier, I left the Pacer game, got in the car, got home to check out Monday Night Football, and immediately thought to myself, wow, the, the lane in the AFC South might have just completely opened up. Looks like maybe Trevor Lawrence is not out as long as we originally anticipated may be the case. But nonetheless, it does show just the weird nature of the NFL that the Colts are kind of right smack dab in the middle of things on this. So a lot to talk about, but I'm going to begin with different than than either of those things. So we'll table that to ask you this. 
Yesterday, also the news that Shaquille Leonard signed with the Philadelphia Eagles. Were you surprised that he is getting that opportunity? No, I mean, I, I, they certainly were interested. And, you know, he made an in-person visit to them. We know all that. I, I really thought the Sirianni uh, presence of Sirianni in, in Philadelphia might be pivotal there. You know, I think he is, number one, he's a guy – who, who plays a position where, you know, they could use some help. So that's the first thing. The other thing is, you know, Sirianni and, and Shaq Leonard, I think they have a lot in common in terms of, you know, just their, you know, just the way that their, their competition level and uh, they're both sort of, you know, big personalities and, you know, that kind of thing. So I thought that would be a good match. And, and I thought he might be the difference. I, I, if I had to bet, I was going to bet Philadelphia because of Nick Sirianni and his history with uh, Shaquille Leonard in Indianapolis. I thought they just meshed. So now none of that means he'll have an impact on the field. And that is what I'm waiting to see. You know, how much of an impact can he have? I, I do think there is uh, probably more expectation from fans in Dallas and, and Philadelphia. There, there was at least – for Dallas and currently is in Philadelphia, uh, probably more expectations than is warranted. You know, we saw what about 10 games of it here. And, you know, he was, he was not a guy who was very impactful and, and I don't take pleasure in saying that it's just, you know, he, his body uh, is where it is. And I think he, he kind of plateaued a little bit in terms of, you know, the development that he was making physically, he came a long way, but it did feel like there was a point he could not surpass and, and be that impactful player that he used to be. Hopefully he proves me wrong. Uh, I hope, I hope that we're all wrong about this, but uh, didn't appear that way here in the final days in Indy. Steven last night in that game with Cincinnati in Jacksonville, um, you know, Jimmy and I were discussing, I, I thought maybe the best scenario was strangely for, Cincinnati to win the game because even though it kind of keeps Cincinnati around the AFC discussion with the Colts that is a team the Colts still have a chance to land a a blow to and potentially a knockout blow Um, but the Lawrence situation is the AFC South more attainable for Indianapolis than we thought or is that two game separation such that they have to stick with the wild card in terms of where they would slot I mean, it makes it at least a conversation. I don't think it was a conversation yesterday morning, 24 hours ago. I wouldn't have said that. But look, I mean, these these injuries can be tricky. Even if a guy comes back, is he 100%? You never know. I mean, we saw that with, with the Bengals and Joe Burrow. Uh, he has started slow in, in the beginning of seasons when he's coming off an injury. Uh, and then this year – as they were starting to get rolling, he gets hurt again, and now he's done. But and we, we have seen quarterbacks not be themselves when hurt. You know, we, we've seen it even at times this year um, in Cleveland with Deshaun Watson at times wasn't playing uh, to his expectations, and he had been hurt as well. You know, was that a factor? Probably. So I, I think you have to at least say that it's a conversation now. The, look, getting swept by Jacksonville is a killer. So you'd have to – you can't tie them. You'd have to finish ahead of them. But, look, all, all bets are off. All bets are off. Uh, until we see 
Trevor Lawrence back out there and playing well, I don't make any uh, assumptions about anything. And you are right, though. You, it, it, when it comes to controlling your own destiny, uh, the Colts can't control anything when it comes to Jacksonville. Uh, they do have some control when it comes to Cincinnati, when it comes to Houston and teams like that, that they do play. Colts beat writer for ESPN. Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, what's changed over the last two weeks with Alec Pierce? Is it he's getting open or is it he's getting found? I think they've made a more concerted effort to get him involved, frankly. I mean, he's played a lot of snaps and when you play as many snaps as he has, he, he plays just about the whole game. When you play that many snaps, to to have the production that he's had, it can't merely be about, well, he's not doing his job. Because if he's doing his, if he's not doing his job, then he shouldn't be playing that much. <laughs> okay, just quite frankly. So the fact that he's out there and, and also there's tape, right? We can watch it and we can see him uh, at times having or creating opportunities that are not that are not accessed by Gardner Minshew or the play call or whatever you want to blame it on. Ultimately, they have had, I think they have made a more concerted effort to change that. And it has to happen at some point. I, I just think you, you get a little predictable when you know every ball is going to Michael Pittman and you see the kind of coverage he's drawing. I mean, he, he's drawing two defenders quite often because – they are force-feeding him. There's no doubt about it. Now, he makes a lot of those contested catches and all the credit in the world there, but what if you could throw it to a wide-open Alec Pierce? Well, that's kind of appealing. <laughs> Why not try that once in a while? Look, I, I will say this. this is, it's not new. It's not a new development that Alec Pierce uh, is, is open. He has been open uh, quite often this year, and I think the production compared with the amount that he's played uh, I, I think it's a missed, it's been a missed opportunity for the Colts, in my estimation. Do you think it's more a missed opportunity based on staff or based on Minshew, like in terms of his overall goal of any given play, or is it an execution thing in terms of the guy under center? Uh, it, it's I put it a little more on the quarterback. Now, what we can't what we can't uh, comment on is, is is what's happening behind closed doors. Are they you know, who, what is the progression, the order of progression? Like, you know, who's the first option? Who's the second option? I mean, those are the things we don't know, right? So you have to take that into account that you don't know those things and, and judge the quarterback um, with that context. That being said, I don't see or I had not seen Gardner Minshew hold on in the pocket and, and wait that extra second to throw the ball down the field like he did on, on Sunday. I think it's a great thing to see it, to see that he did do it. And against a defensive line that, frankly, is pretty aggressive and, and does create some pressure. So it's not as if they were playing some, you know, sort of JV defensive line. So he hung in there, and he, he trusted his protection. He has not done that consistently enough, I think, at times. So to see Gardner Minshew trust the protection and, to, and to, to hang on in that pocket a little longer – and throw the ball down the field, that's what it's going to take to get Alec Pierce involved. Now, you can also get him involved in other routes. It, not everything has to be a go route, but they definitely have designated him as the guy who clears out, uh, clears things out and runs those deep routes. So he's going to run more of those than the other receivers. And so 
those are lower percentage plays. You're going to throw fewer of them, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't think he's ever going to have a really high completion percentage, you know, to Alec Pierce or, or I guess uh, catch percentage, I should say. I don't know that, that Alec Pierce is ever going to have some super high catch percentage. You know who didn't have a, a high catch percentage in his career? T.Y. Hilton. And, you know, and I don't have a whole lot of complaints about the way he played. So that's that's what I'd say. I'm not saying he's T.Y. Hilton. I'm saying guys who play like that, you judge them by a different metric. Steven, I have been impatient with Alec Pierce, maybe even overly critical of Alec Pierce. But at the same time, on a couple of occasions, I have reminded myself both internally and then also on this radio show that Reggie Wayne in his rookie year, I remember there was chatter of like, did, why did they draft this guy? Like he, he and then in in year number two, I think he got his first score maybe late in year one in Houston, and then kind of everything took off from there. How much of that tutelage, if you will, for an Alec Pierce of having somebody that maybe knew what Alec Pierce was going through in terms of lack of production early? and being able to bounce that off of Reggie Wayne and learn from him, do you think is benefiting not just Pierce, but this receiving core? You nailed it. I mean, that is exactly what happened, in fact. Uh, Alec Pierce talked about that this week after the game. In the locker room, I was asking him about, you know, just the, the patience that has been required to do, you know, to, to wait this long for your opportunity uh, to have a game like this. And it doesn't mean he couldn't have done more. But he did say specifically that Reggie told him, has told him repeatedly about the story of Marvin Harrison. I looked it up. And let's see. I think it was 2002. I'm looking at it here. In 2002, Marvin Harrison had 205 targets, which is crazy. I mean, are there any balls left for anybody else? The truth is there weren't many. And Reggie was telling him I was getting three or four uh, targets a game. And people thought I sucked and they were questioning the pick, all that. And then ultimately now we're talking about a guy who's a finalist for the hall of fame. That does not mean that Alec Pierce will ever be that, but it is, I think a a very, very vivid example of, of how things can develop. I mean, I have heard a lot of people, you know, compare other young receivers in, in Alec's class you know, to how he's performing. And, and that's fine. That's fair. That is kind of apples to apples, but here's where it's not. Here's where it's apples to oranges is that every situation is different, you know? And so quarterback situations are different. Uh, the wide receiver composition of each team is different. Um, you know, the roles of wide receivers are different. So it, it is tough. It's tempting, I guess, to want to say, Hey, why is this guy doing this? And that guy's not. But there's a lot there, and, and it's dependent on a lot of other factors. And Reggie has been, I think, has done a great job of, of contextualizing that for Alec Pierce and these, these young receivers. I will tell you, I never expected Reggie Wayne to come back this year. I thought last year, with that complete clown show that he had to deal with, <laughs> I thought there was no chance. That was his first year coaching, okay? First year. And they begged him to come and do it. And then – I show up, I do it, finally, I cave, and then you fire the staff, I, you hire Jeff Saturday, I, then after the season, I don't know if I have a job. Right? I mean, like, what a what a complete disaster. If I'm Reggie, I'm like, you know what, I'm going home. I'm rich. <laughs> and Reggie said, you know what, no, I want to do this again. And, and I love that about him. In your opinion, Stephen Holder, two different answers here. Reggie Wayne, 
Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis. Mm. The first of those three to get in the hall will be which, and the one that you think is most deserving is which? This is so hard. Um, I think it's maybe Dwight Freeney. Um, I don't know if I have any great basis for that prediction. I, I just think that I would say that Re- part of Reggie's problem is he is battling perceptions. And and the perception is, number one, you played with Peyton Manning, you kind of get some benefit of the doubt because you played with, with Pey- Peyton Manning. Not, not benefit of the doubt, but you're, you're almost your, – your accomplishments are almost diminished by the fact that you played with one of the all-time great quarterbacks. And Marvin Harrison is a factor here too because – you know, you, it, it's it's almost as if, well, okay, well, how often do you see – I was talking with someone about this recently. How often do you see two Hall of Fame guys in the same position? Well, look how long era? it took Stallworth to get in after Swan, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and that is – and he played in an era that's nothing like this era where we have wide receivers coming out of our ears because the numbers are, are what they are because of the era that we're living in. So great example. So I, I just don't think you see a lot of that. And it's, it did happen for that Steelers team in a couple of positions, but it's not typical. So Reggie's battling that. Now you can extend that same argument to Robert Mathis. Uh, the presence of Freeney is the worst thing that could happen to his Hall of Fame chances. I, I think what's completely honest with you. Steven, I think what's interesting in both cases, and you probably have to be esoterically linked to watching Indianapolis in their era to know this, but the case for both Mathis and Wayne, to me, that's interesting is they mirror one another in the fact that when those two respective players, Marvin Harrison and Dwight Freeney, moved on, those two guys both extended their careers by elevating themselves and showing yeah. that, in fact, they they could then be the guy, right? Um, yes. Freeney, to me, when you said that you thought Freeney and you couldn't pinpoint why, let me throw a theory and you tell me if you think there's some validity to it. The thing that separates Freeney from the other two and from a lot of players, Freeney has a play that was specifically his. Yes. No, that, I, I was actually thinking about it as I was talking, and I I didn't go there. But, no, I do think there's something to that. Like, he had a, a signature move correct. that other players emulated. And and the other thing is, okay, and, and Reggie – what do we? What do you think about when, what's like Reggie's trademark? What What's the first thing someone in Des Moines, Iowa, thinks about yeah. when they think about Reggie? He West? had a he had a Nothing. cool helmet. He had a different helmet than everybody else, right? And and when I and I know that sounds terrible to say, like, oh, you're not. It's not. I'm not saying he's not memorable. I'm saying he just showed up. He caught a lot of balls. He scored a lot of touchdowns, and he did his job. You know what I mean? And Reggie off the field is very much like Reggie on the field. Re- Reggie off the field is just like whatever, man. You know, it's just like, I'm just going to go home and smoke a cigar, whatever. Right. And and that was Reggie on the field, too. He's just like, eh, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do my job and I'm going to go home and drink some brown liquor, which is like his favorite thing in the world. So <laughs> that's it. I mean, you know what I mean? So I, I, there wasn't anything flashy about him. And I, I hate to, to think that that matters because I don't think it should. But I just think we're human. And perceptions matter, and and these are the things that, even in a small way, impact perception. So it's a it's a fascinating conversation. I'm glad you brought it up because 
I do think they're all deserving in their own right, but they're now all competing with each other, frankly. You know, the, the 2000s Colts. But, but last thing, it's a great point you make, though, that Wayne and Mathis, they absolutely did do that. And, and in both cases, what I'm talking about uh, continue to be great after the departure of the, the other guys. And the great thing about both of them is that they did it longer than we anticipated. I mean, you remember uh, Mathis had that great season at the end where, I mean, he was in the conversation for defensive player of the year, I believe in 2013, if I recall. So, you know, obviously he had the Achilles injury and that was kind of the beginning of the end after that. But same thing with Reggie. I mean, he really got the ball rolling with Andrew Luck and, and had a couple of impactful seasons, even, well into the the Andrew Luck era, you know? So that was great to see. To to be able to do it at that age, it says a lot about them. ESPN's Colt beat writer Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, I want to read you the following tweet, and I want you to tell me which fan base it's coming from. (laughs) Five games left to play, plenty of backup quarterbacks on the schedule. Buckle up, folks. Anything's possible. Who would you think that tweet was from in terms of a fan base? Well, it, it could certainly be, it could certainly be the the Colts fan base, but it could also be, it could be Houston, it could be uh, any of the other seven and five teams. Correct. I imagine. Just, I mean, that's where we are. I, I think I know where you're going with this. I shouldn't preempt your question, but, but go ahead. It's all right. I'll no, 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 no. I was gonna say like <laughs> it's it's from a, a Bengals media member, and that's the state go. of this playoff fight in the AFC right now. I guess a have you ever covered anything like this? And, and B, is there an edge anywhere when everybody's kind of at the same level playing field in terms of, I know there's variance between which backup quarterback is better, but that's a lot of this playoff rates is teams with backup QBs under center. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of this thing. I mean, it, it really is a battle of attrition. Now I know it's more fun to watch, watch the games when the stars are playing. I'm not saying the NFL is better because Joe Burrow is not out there. Like, that's stupid, right? I mean, I'm not saying it's better because Aaron Rodgers is watching and and talking about coming back even though there's no shot that's ever going to happen. Anyway, I digress. No, it's not better when those guys are out. However, it certainly is more unpredictable. That is true. There's no doubt about it. And, look, I mean, think about this. The Colts could be completely – the Colts fan base right now, the alternative to this is they could be completely disinterested and disassociated with what's happening on the field because it wouldn't matter. That sucks. I don't want that. You know? So what we have now is everybody has a shot. This is parody on steroids, maybe for the wrong reason, you know, whatever, but it's parody and you're going to watch. You're interested. You're engaged. And this is not the AFC we predicted. Remember what we said? We figured ah, there's going to be four or five elite teams and, um, you know, all the guys with all the teams with the elite quarterbacks. And then there's everybody else. And we were wrong because predicting the NFL is a fool's errand. When you look at the rest of the Colts schedule, Jake Browning, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, CJ Stroud, Aiden O'Connell, is Gardner Minshew the best of those? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
I mean, I guess uh, Stroud. Stroud. I, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I should have. Yeah, yeah, okay. Outside of Stroud. Okay. Other four, though. My bad. Of, That's of my fault. Others. I'll pump the brakes. I mean, of the others, I mean, you're talking about all backups, right? So I, yeah. I, I would say, frankly, I mean, Jake – Browning had a great performance last night, but I mean, like who's predicting that he can do that again. Right. I mean, maybe he can, but I mean, I have nothing to base that on, so I'm not going to predict that. So yes, I, as strange as this might sound, I think I do take Gardner Minshew. I mean, there's a chance if the Colts make it to the playoffs, there's a scenario where he's the only backup quarterback to get his team there. You know, I mean, think about that. And as much as, we give him grief, and I am absolutely guilty of that. Trust me. I mean, you, I just you mean the only backup this earlier. year, right? Correct. This yeah, year, yeah. correct. Um, you know, there's tons of backups playing, and generally, their teams are worse for it. <laughs> okay, I'm just let's just be honest. Donut tires, I mean, Stephen. It's the Jake Query. The only good analogy I've ever used, a backup quarterback is a donut tire. It's perfectly sufficient to get you an exit or two to your destination, but if you think that you're going to be going all the way to your original destination, you're screwed, right? Well, look, have you driven on 465 lately? Okay. Because <laughs> I see a lot of donut tires out there, and I want to, like, save these people, get the hell away from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Get in the far right lane, baby. Right. I mean, it, it says on there in plain English, do not exceed 50 miles an hour, okay? Like, come on, man. What are we doing here? You know, anyway, I, I, Derek Schultz pointed this out, and I thought it was a good point, which that alone made it memorable. <laughs> and that is because we have an extra game in the season and because of just like the physicality of the NFL now, are we going to start – are we heading into an era where – I'm not saying they're big ticket items, don't get me wrong – but are guys going to be able to extend their career because there's going to be more of a priority on the backup quarterback and making sure that you have a guy like a Joe Flacco, like a Gardner Minshew, that you can plug in and feel comfortable with in short spurts? I mean, I don't think that teams ever completely overlooked it, but I, I do think that there have been teams living dangerously. There's no doubt about that. I mean, look at the Jets. I mean, the quarterback you hated was your backup. <laughs> I mean, I mean that was not a good plan, right? And by the way, hasn't didn't not to cut you off there, which I've done like three times now, Stephen. I apologize, but didn't I thought I heard yesterday that they came back to Zach Wilson and they're like, you know, actually, um, what are you doing Sunday? And and he was like, I'm good. That's the report that that's been alleged, and and I don't know the details. This guy's my hero. That. That's out there. It's, I mean, it's the most Jets thing ever. <laughs> totally. Right? It is totally, right? It absolutely is. But I but I don't discount what you said at all. I do think that, you know, there are teams, like I said, that have definitely taken some chances with backup quarterbacks, you know, particularly the teams with the elite quarterbacks. And, and, and then, you know, look, when you have a good team and, and then your quarterback gets hurt, I get that. You know, the, the calculus changes. I understand that. But on the other hand, the argument is you do have a good team. Are you going to let it all go down the crapper because you took you cut corners at, at quarterback? I will tell you this. Chris Ballard, to his credit, he, I know, you know, we kind of scoff at Gardner Minshew sometimes, but, but that was very intentional. It was very intentional. You know, they knew that, that Anthony Richardson was going to be you know, uh, a guy who was going to play very physical. And they were 
they were hyper aware of the fact that, well, you know, he could miss some games. So that was very intentional to go get a guy who they thought could start and, and would be comfortable starting him. All right, final 30 seconds, Stephen. Brown liquor or cigar, which one do you relax with? Oh, well, both, typically. But if I have to pick, oh, that's tough. Um, the cigar is soothing. You take you can take your time. So I'll say that. All right, there we go. Get yourself a Punch Grand Crew or a Punch Rothschild or a Hoyo de Monterey Number 1 Excalibur or a Boulevard and enjoy it with some Jefferson's Ocean and call it an evening. There you go. There's my advice. That sounds like a hell of a time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Steven, appreciate it. ESPN.com where you can read Steven's work, of course, and appreciate the weekly chats. Good talking to you. See you, guys. All right, Steven Holder on the guest line. One of the guys we were just talking about, Alec Pierce. Big catch, big, big, big catch. Put the Colts in game-winning position, of course, in Tennessee on Sunday. So what does a guy like that do to relax? Is it a brown-colored liquor and a cigar? No, it's talk to us, which he's going to do next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. By the way, Jimmy, this is entirely possible that I misread this. Because, you know, if you're like me, Alec Pierce set to join us, by the way, folks, just a couple minutes here. But if you're like me, gosh, just the way the world works today, a lot of your news or information comes like via social media or just scanning your device, right? Yeah. Head, headlines. Do you ever have that thing where, like, you're watching a video and then another video pops up and you're like, oh, I'd like to know more about this, and then it, it's gone and you're like, where'd it go? Yes. That kind of thing. I, I, so I, I may be totally off base on this. I thought I had seen yesterday that Kenny Pickett is now questionable for a number of games and Mitchell Trubisky is the guy in Pittsburgh. I, I could be wrong in that, and I thought it was – and I'm – Surely it couldn't have been his, his little hands because that, that wouldn't be a very big injury. But no, I mean, he had surgery maybe? on his ankle. He had surgery ankle. on his ankle. I was going to say ankle. He's not on IR, but he had surgery on his ankle. So, But did I see – I thought I saw also that he hit – honestly, I'm not trying to be funny, that he hit, hit his – maybe I'm thinking of another quarterback. You know how sometimes a quarterback on their follow-through will hit like the face mask of a defender? Sure. And I, I thought I saw maybe that was with him. I, I don't know. But I think he is expected to be out. He's gonna miss a little bit of time. They're not putting him on the IR, but yeah, just had ankle surgery, so it's 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 the biscuits game and, in in Pittsburgh. And they've got how many left before they play the Colts? One, is it? Two. So I it, it may be Trubisky, and you know Trubisky's an interesting guy because is he one in a bye week? You know I think Mitchell Trubisky kind of gets a bad rap because of the fact that he there, there was so much hype about him and you know the, let's yeah. face it the guys he was drafting in front of yep kind of hurts right so he Correct. may be a perfectly suitable player not one of the bye week by the way yeah okay i want to correct just myself not for where he was they originally play thursday playing. they play thursday then saturday and so the math hurt my brain tiny hands of kenny pickett and my he's, tiny brain got, got 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 confused little, there little hands yep. right yep. uh joining us now on the guest line a guy that made the play of the game Depending on where things go, might be the play of the season. We shall see. And the Colts win over Tennessee in overtime. The big reception, 55 yards from Gardner Minshew. Second-year receiver Alec Pierce joining us on the program. Alec, how are you? Good, how are you? 
You know, I can't complain, man. I got, and, and you know what? <clears throat> I'm just going to get this right out in the open. How's that, right? Uh, I'll be I'll be fair about this up front because it's always weird when you do sports talk radio, Alec, because you're like, so I get the thing saying Alec Pierce is joining the program, and I'm like, awesome, because, you know, here you are, uh, an integral part of this team. And then I was like, you know what, though? There have been times – I don't think I've been overly critical, but there have been times – earlier where I was questioning Alec Pierce and so I thought okay I guess I should just confess up front that there have been times where I looked at it and and it felt like they weren't necessarily like scheme wasn't fitting what you bring to the table per se and then I had to remind myself that Reggie Wayne I talked about this with Stephen Holder also had a year where it was in year two where Reggie Wayne really took off. And I think that we just get accustomed to thinking receivers are supposed to be like Jamar Chase right out of the box, which is unusual. So, number one, Mia Culpa, because you had a hell of a play, and that's why you're there, right? And, and when you are capable of making those plays, you've got to be on the field. So, I apologize for that saying that as when you were a rookie, but how much does having a Reggie Wayne in your ear that you can bounce things off of that also had that 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 exploratory time and that learning process? How much has that helped you to stay focused here as a Colt? Yeah, it, it definitely helps. You know, Reggie's a guy. Um, you know, I've actually had some conversations with him this year. Um, I think he. You know, he, he kind of said he had similar things happen with his career where he had Marvin Harrison there. So, you know, he wasn't the he wasn't the number one guy right out the gate. Um, and, you know, he just had to learn to be patient. He said, you know, just be ready to make the play when the play comes to you. Like, you're going to get some opportunities. You might It might not be the majority because um, they have guy you know, Pitt's very established and he's a great player. He makes a lot of plays. Um, but, you know, you just got to be ready when your time, when your number's called. I have a really dumb question here. When you are on a deep out like that, do mm. you know specifically this play that I am like option number one? Or at times, do you know, look, my job is to go and get behind the defense in case things break down and you don't necessarily know whether or not until you're like down there, the ball is coming your way. I know that sounds like a dumb question, but it probably is. But does it impact just like the route running and the way that you're going through the process of a play? Yeah, like I definitely know. I think pre-snap, you kind of know based on how the week's gone, the plays they've called. Um, you can kind of tell, if, oh, this play's designed for me to be the guy. Um, and it always depends on coverage and stuff like that. But you're usually thinking, oh, we're hoping they get this coverage and then they're sending me deep on this or whatever. Um, and then there's other plays you know where you're probably not the first or second or even third read. Um, but you know your backside, and that's kind of more when you might get a chance if the play breaks down and they and they scramble, or if the quarterback's able to get through all the reads back to the last one. But you know, just with the way the league is, pass rush stuff like that, it's pretty it's pretty hard to you're not just sitting back there patting the ball like like Madden or something. You know, so it's it's pretty hard to kind of get run through the whole you know four or five receiver read. Colts wide receiver Alec Pierce is our guest. Alec, going into the season, the idea of your deep threat capability paired with the arm strength of Anthony Richardson tantalized a lot of folks. I'm sure it got you guys excited as well over at West 56th. And Richardson goes down for the year. Gardner Minshew, still a talented quarterback in his own right, but maybe doesn't Mm -hmm. always play into the same strengths of your game. And when you look at also last year in that quarterback room, a lot of adversity for wide receivers, a lot of adversity you've acknowledged for you yourself as a young wide receiver in the NFL. And then you've stacked together over the last three weeks some 
really good performances, an incredible one against Tennessee. How have you pushed through that adversity and how much of your way you attack on a weekly basis has had to be modified or changed as you've become more familiarized with Gardner Minshew over the last six, eight weeks? Yeah, I just try to, um, you know, I think the the biggest thing is just about being consistent. Um, you know, if you have different quarterbacks, I, I want to be the same version of myself. Um, and really across the board with our receivers, too, it's about being consistent. Like, they know that if they call this route, like that we're all going to get to the exact, you know, depth of the route um, in the same amount of time and just kind of try to be, like, all the same player, be consistent and things like that because that just makes it, like, so much easier for them to plug in and play. And, you know, they don't have to learn, oh, he does this, whereas somebody else does that. It's more so you're just, like, very uniform. So that's that's kind of what I always focus on each week. How are they different as possible and, and consistent? Sorry about that. How are they different, Alec? And I don't mean in a bad way. I mean in a good way. But like, just and I don't even necessarily mean in football. But Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew, how are they different guys? And and what maybe does Minshew bring to the table that Richardson did not, and vice versa? Yeah, they're. I mean, they're they're very different. Just Gardner definitely brings on um, that veteran presence. He's been on. You know, he's been on good football teams. Um, he started a lot of games in the NFL. So he definitely has that, like, kind of veteran leadership, whereas Anthony, he had leadership too, but it was more so, like, different, you know, a different type. It's hard to explain, but just kind of more like he had that the confidence um, being, you know, just knowing, like, he's a really talented player, a really good player with all the, all the tools, all the potential. Um, but, yeah, just definitely, like, a little bit – the offense is different when they're when we have different guys in there. You know, it changes up. They're not the exact same type of quarterback, so um, it definitely changes things a little bit. But it's just on us to try and you know make it make it work with whatever we're working with. When I played sports, Alec Alec Pierce is our guest of the Colts. When I played sports, or even like in a work environment, there's always like one person that you just kind of feel comfortable and when you see them in the huddle or when you when you come into work and you see them there like you just it's like a safety net you think like you know what like we're gonna be okay because like I just feel comfortable with that guy as my teammate who's that guy for you I'd say Pittman I mean he he he's a guy I've, I've looked up to since I, I got on the team um learned a ton of things from him he's a great leader um you know just for me I, I feel like I've just he's he's taking me under his wing and you know, I just try to learn from him, and he's a guy. You know, I know like if it's third and third and five, and they throw a tough one across the middle, like he's gonna make the catch. He's gonna catch the ball to win the game, score the touchdown. You know, and like he did last week, like he just he's just such a sure-handed guy, um, and just a tough football player, and he's willing to do whatever. Like I know if he's got to go make a big block on a run play, like he's gonna he's gonna make that block. So he's just dependable. He's a guy that I, I have all my trust in. Colts wide receiver Alec Pierce joins us. Alec, where do you feel the biggest area that you've improved year one to? I know year two is ongoing, but at this point, where do you feel like your game has grown or maybe what you've learned most about the NFL in this two-year window? Yeah, I think I've um, I think I've improved on my, my route running. Um, just doing a lot of, you know, different types of things, trying to find different ways to get open. Not necessarily just using my speed and stuff like that, but, you know, trying to work a little bit more kind of like veteran savvy type moves. Uh, I think, you know, I've had, you go at it every day uh, for however many months the season is, like you get a lot of time to kind of 
look at the film, look at yourself, um, watch other people, see what they do. So you can kind of steal from other guys, not even just your teammates, but across the league, you might be watching some film, watching the DBs that you're about to play, but you might see, oh, that's a good route. That guy got open. See how they did that. So that's probably the biggest thing. What was the moment for you, Alec Pierce? You know, I I watch a a play like in overtime, okay? Here's an overtime, Mm -hmm. 55-yard play, and I think like, man, like just – the pressure of that moment and then I think to myself as a professional athlete that's probably and I'm not taking away from that moment but I think all athletes go through a period where they have to reach so deep down inside of themselves that plays like that in an overtime are gravy because it's like look I've been through harder what was that moment for you when is the moment in the NFL that most tested the internal fortitude of Alec Pierce um I'd say last year uh, just like towards the end of the year, just really, you know, I, it was it was really tough on me just losing all those games. Um, I'd been on all my life, I've been on teams that have won a lot of football games, and that just kind of really challenged it for me because you know you're going on in the season, and it's and it's first of all it's the longest season you've ever been a part of. So I'm expecting like right around this time last year, I'm thinking like the season should be over. You know, you still got six more games or whatever it was, and um, you know, just not used to, like, not playing for anything because I think we were probably already out of the playoffs by then. Um, and it just kind of, you know, it just it takes away, like, the goal. Like, a, every week you come in and you want to you win the game. And obviously we were still trying to win the game last year, but it's, like, not really. We weren't playing for the playoffs or anything. So that just – that was the hardest thing for me. Uh, I definitely challenged it. And I think, you know, it was a big thing this offseason. Just wanted to try and, you know, get together with the guys. Um get the right leadership in place uh, and just, you know, turn our, turn our team around. What helped you break through that? Like what helped you get past that monotony, if you will, or that challenge that you're talking about a year ago? Yeah. Um, I think just getting back to kind of like the, the fundamentals, the basics, I think just getting back to just like core competing, you know, like in practice, we really, we really, I'd say we got more competitive as as the season kind of went on in practice, like like very competitive. Like we were almost having like <laughs> like camp type practices like later in the year, which you know most teams weren't doing. And I, I don't know if it necessarily translated on the field, but I think I still think like we had some good games where we played some good football. We just you know didn't unfortunately didn't win the games, but um, that kind of for me it felt like you know it just kind of rejuvenated that that sense of competition and kind of like reminded me like why like why like why I'm I'm here why I'm in the NFL why like it's all just about competition like that's really all it is you know you'll see the guys and the the guys that are in the locker room are the most competitive people in the world so you can go out there and treat treat a Wednesday practice like a Super Bowl and everyone will be on the same page because people are just that competitive Cold second year wideout Alec Pierce with us. Alec, you mentioned what a lot of players go through, especially when you've had high level success everywhere you've been collegiately at the high school level, that it can be a rude awakening when it's losses that are stacking up instead of being in championship level conversation. And I know you just mentioned that reawakening, but what has that feeling been like it being back this year and in this stretch run, knowing that you guys are five games away if you take care of business of being in the playoffs? Yeah, it's 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 a great feeling, you know. It, like I said, that that's the objective. You want to win championships, um, start by winning the division, stuff like that. 
make the playoffs. So uh, it's definitely it's definitely super exciting that we're we're in this playoff home, but we just got. I try not to look ahead. You know, I think as a team, we try not to look ahead. We just said take it one one game at a time, one and zero. Alec, finally, first off, I was I was curious to this real quick. Uh, what percent of the time in your life have people erroneously called you Alex? Uh, I've been getting it all my life. Because <laughs> like I almost have to like stop myself. No offense, right? Because it's just such a habit of saying Alex. But Alec Pierce, our guest, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, in conclusion, I thought it was a cool moment. Probably a month ago, uh, somewhere around there, your teammate Zaire Franklin had a fundraiser at Hoagies mm. and Hops, which is the place that makes his favorite sandwich. And yeah. I went in there for it, and I'm sitting there, and in walks Alec Pierce. I turn around, and I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Alec Pierce that comes in, gets a sandwich, leaves. So I'm curious, which, which was the bigger benefit, assuming that was you that I saw, which was better? The be, being able to just help your teammate and helping his community or the sandwich itself? Yeah, I mean, the, the sandwich was pretty good, but it was definitely, it was definitely awesome <laughs> to be able to support, you know, my teammate. I, I think I love what Zaire's doing. Um, you know, he's a great, great man, great leader in this community. Um, you know, I'm just, I saw we, we nominated him as the Walter Payton Man of the Year for our team. So, um, you know, hopefully he does well with that and, you know, I, I believe in him. He's, he's just a great leader, great captain for our team, and he's just a great role model for, for the youth and stuff. So, you know, I'm just really – like, I try to support people and things like that. I am I believe heavily in, like, you know, working with the community and stuff like that. And I, I'm trying to, like, learn from him and see, like, what he does and hopefully start doing things like that. Well, we hope you're around for a long time. I think you probably will be in terms of being able to – get your roots here in Indianapolis and be a part of the community and obviously plays like what happened in overtime, a big part of that. But Alec, certainly the growth uh, can be seen and we appreciate the time today and congratulations on a big play and obviously a very important win for you guys on Sunday. Thank you. Alec Pierce, the second year wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts on the guest line. Uh, Interesting because again, and I think it was interesting stuff about the Reggie Wayne narrative in particular of just, you know, and Stephen Holder touched on it, just being able to say, you know, hey, look, you got to buy your time, right? And and you've got a guy, you got to know when your number's called that there's that possibility and be able to, and that's got to be tough to, to know that your number's not going to be called with the same frequency of other guys on the roster. But when it is, you got to be ready to go, and he was on Sunday. And it's a component that often gets lost when you look at a wide receiver that has his ability to get open deep where – you get so caught up in the week to week, and I've been guilty of it as well. I know you, you know, acknowledge that to him right off the bat, but I've been critical of him at times too. But sometimes we forget that, and that's why you hoped Gardner Minshew was good enough to be able to see what this wide receiving room is, so you can make evaluations moving forward. That's the caveat to this statement. But we often forget that it was supposed to be an offense that was built around a number of different aspects, but the cannon of an arm that Anthony Richardson has was supposed to be a breakout year for Alec Pierce. And that's a lot of adversity that he's gone through. Sometimes it's not always his fault. Sometimes it's just where the offense is or who they're targeting. But if he's able to stack, doesn't have to be hundred yard games every time, but if he's able to stack together those type of three catches on six targets for 50 or 75 yards or, or getting a deep ball or a long distance conversion for this team with where else they're going in the passing game, Michael Pittman Jr. in double digit targets, what Josh Downs has been, and then a mixture of Zach Moss. And whenever you get Jonathan Taylor back, that's good enough with what you have at quarterback to still play at a high level. But for him to go through that adversity 
and still really never look back on it or never have a ton of loss of team versus me, I think is very admirable. You know, in a yin and yang discussion, he said something about not Jeff Saturday, but about last year that I thought was interesting when he was saying we knew we were playing for for nothing basically. I mean, I shouldn't say that. You know, he's like we wanted to win the games, but we weren't playing for a playoff. There's and, no stakes there. Correct. You know, it, it like I'm sure that it, it felt like what today looks like outside for them every day. But for him to say, but what kind of got me out of that was the fact that we were competing every day and running practices that almost felt like we were headed to the Super Bowl. I actually and and again. So it's probably 50-50. I hear that as actually a tip of the cap to Jeff Saturday of, you know, hey, look, it, 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 we were still going out and practicing hard, and that helped us get through it. Um, others may look at that and say, why were they going so hard? And that could have created burnout. Maybe I should have followed up on that. But I, I don't question the work ethic, and I don't want. I know you're not trying to have this be the conversation and the show. I don't want to question the work ethic or the ability to have good practices of Jeff Saturday or anybody that's played the game at the high level. I yeah. think we know why that fell apart in the disastrous way that it just did it. it was but I took that as a compliment to yes, the way Saturday yes. was was yeah. was conducting a drive for them. Right, that's sure. simply the way I took it. Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me. All right, I'm not a athlete. This is my play. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day, starting first in the NBA, we will lay the five on the Milwaukee Bucks against the New York Knicks. Bucks favored by five going into that one. Of course, the winner plays the Pacers. And I'm sorry, that game is in which in Milwaukee? Sorry, in Milwaukee. Knicks at Bucks. Gonna take the Bucks, laying the five against New York. Other play in tournament game tonight. Give me the Phoenix Suns to win the money line over the Los Angeles Lakers. That game in LA. In Knicks Bucks, I skipped this one. Damian Lillard over 25 and a half total points. College Hoops, I'll lay six for UConn as they host North Carolina. And I will scoop the seven. Indiana getting seven points tonight against Michigan as they continue Big Ten play. Now, now can I again uh, ask my non-degenerate question? Yep, you can. Yep. Give me the difference between lay and scoop. So I'm taking the points when I say scoop. So they're so underdogs by okay. seven points. I want the points. Okay. If they are favored, I'm laying the points. I'm laying five there. So you're so you're take okay. I'm scooping. Indiana needs to lose by seven or less. JMV just walked in and is giggling. I'm scooping. Love scooping. Are you scooping or laying? I, I do yeah. neither very well. <laughs> I just gonna say. I don't, usually, what are you I laughing to, about? Showbiz, showbiz over there giggling if I do about that scooping, comment. I have to lay down, right? I mean, that works. Now, John, I just heard you say in your promo you got a loaded show today, right? Yeah. Well, now you, you said that. Now oh, oh, you want to know. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Well, I thought Josh Schertz was coming on because I'm proud of the Sycamores out of the gate here, basketball-wise. Hey man, they're off to a good start. They play right? Northern Illinois, I think, tonight, uh, wherever the hell that is, DeKalb, Illinois. So, um, you knew who went tomorrow. there, you? Huh? You knew who went to Northern Illinois? Uh, well, I don't know if she went there. You knew who's a native of DeKalb, Illinois? Danica Patrick? No, she is from Wisconsin. She's from uh, – um, no, no, no. She's from Illinois. You're right. She's from Illinois. Because uh, what's, her, what's her name that went to uh, ESPN she and, from She and Nicole, too. right? Yeah. Yeah. They're Nicole. from like the Rockford area, right? What's her name? Nicole Mansky when it was here. Correct. Right? Mansky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cindy Crawford from DeKalb, Illinois. I did not know that. Is Danica from DeKalb? You might be right. Um, and then Jenny McCarthy went to Southern Illinois. Ooh. <laughs> Now you seem nice too. <laughs> you, you you seemed which, which more one? invigorated which by one? Jenny McCarthy or this is a '90s question, right? Or Cindy Crawford? Well, 
You know, my one Cindy Crawford brush with greatness, John, was when I was an intern at MTV and she worked for House of Style. Oh, yeah. I one time bumped into her. Oh, yeah. Uh, literally, literally, literally bumped, physically bumped into her on the street in New York and, like, knocked her back and, like, kind of had to grab her to, like, stop her fall. I mean, as you would do with any person, right? I didn't re- and then we made eye contact. I was with a buddy of mine. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's Cindy Crawford. And she said, and I quote, you going to be at work tomorrow? She said, said that. That's pretty awesome right not, there. Because yeah. it was like way, way, way. That's in definitely. And hey, she show, was, you know what? I didn't know her, obviously. Showbiz, that's a street arousal right there. <laughs> Take a picture of that on the sidewalk, Showbiz. Here's the thing, John. Uh, I, I didn't know her, obviously, other than I was an intern where she works. Yeah. So she saw my face regularly. Right. Um, but from all observation, she was absolutely, and I'm talking about Cindy Crawford, she was absolutely the most down-to-earth person in that building. That's pretty cool. Totally, totally cool. I mean, pretty totally cool. cool. I yeah. saw Kari Wurr once on uh, Santa Monica Pier, of all places. Really? And there were like 15 kids around her. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> Probably the paparazzi. Yeah, this was not, he had 1996. I think it was even well past her stage of doing a lot. Well past Remote Control, which will go down in history as one of the greatest game shows of all time. It's a good show. MTV's Remote Control. Listen, the Santa Monica Pier, when you're out, I mean, Showbiz knows this. He lived there. When you're walking around the Santa Monica Pier, John, you actually you, you take a look around and you think to yourself, I understand now why people pay $6,000 a month for a shoebox to live in with 16 million other people around, right? Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. You like it when, when Jimmy Cook talks like he's Jimmy the Greek sitting over here too, right? And scoop and lay and stuff. <laughs> by the way, are you laying the seven and a half on Indiana State <laughs> yeah. tonight? Because I'm favored by seven nothing, and a half. All right, sir. Okay. All right. okay. <laughs> you know, I, I told Jimmy, uh, he can he can be Jimmy the Greek all he wants for the first 95% of Jimmy the Greek's career. <laughs> yeah. The last 5%. You, you can be Pete Axtelm after that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Okay. You know what I mean? So, both no longer with By the us. way, who was when Jimmy the Greek was on, you had Jimmy the Greek, uh, Irv Cross, Brent Musburger, and I always forget who was the I, I can't believe Phyllis George. I'm, Phyllis George, thank yeah. you. I was and then say, Jane Kennedy for a while. I had the, such a crush on Jane Kennedy from the state of Ohio. They had the world's worst NFL the NFL today had the worst like like robotic football yeah. player open. You remember that? Yeah. It's just terrible. The graphics na, 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 were na, awful. Na, 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 na. Na, na, and then it would like make it it'd make it it make it turn. Yeah. I thought it was great because when Britt Musburger said you were looking live oh, at yeah. Soldier Field in Chicago, that was great. It was. That will never happen again. Never. You're that right. was great. Different totally different era back then. And you know, I remember John the anticipation that week of like yeah. waiting to see which game you were going to see, right? Right. Oh, yeah. And around here, it was like, oh, we get the Bengals again. Get the, the Bears. Bears. Yeah. I mean, Channel 10 was CBS out of Terre Haute that I got. And I'm a, I was a Bears fan. So I remember getting fan. a lot, and I've, I've mentioned this before, for whatever reason, oftentimes the late game, we would get Seattle. I, I don't know why, but hmm. we'd get the Seahawks in the Jim Zorn era. You'd always get which, Denver, and that's when Seattle was in the yeah, AFC Yeah, and I always West, thought so, Denver, yeah. for whatever reason, I thought Denver was like Alaska, because every time yeah. I saw it, it snowed. So I just figured it snowed all the time in Denver. Well, I had first, I don't know why this, you know, I, I love the Sears NFL clothes oh, back the in the late 70s, early 80s, and I had a Randy Gratishar jersey. <laughs> there you go. The Broncos, Hell 53, yeah. Randy yeah. Gratishar. For whatever reason, yeah. I, I had a Packers coat, because it was like, that. I couldn't find a Steelers one of 
yeah. my mom bought me a Packers one. And then I had the, the fall letter jacket that was a Washington Redskins one. I had all one. that Hand stuff. Me down. I had the all best. the Sears stuff, which was, was great. I all would right. give anything now for like a sleeping bag. I, you or, know, if they brought that back, uh, I would buy it up. I'd buy a kidding? robe and pajamas goes, and everything. There goes our yeah. 401k, right? <laughs> uh, all right, John's got a packed show, and it starts here in just a couple of minutes. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. Jimmy and I back at it, uh, back at it I should say, at noon tomorrow here. Aquarian Company on the fan.